Drexel and Vowel Show, and before we get going, I have an unfortunate announcement to make, and that is the Druff Drexel and Vowel Show will no longer be the Druff Drexel and Vowel Show. It is now just the Druff and Drexel Show, because Vowels is leaving the show, at least for now. Nothing having to do with anything that happened here, and I'm being totally truthful about this. I swear she is not leaving because of anything that's happened on the site. She is leaving because of family issues. I'll let her elaborate on this if she wants. If she doesn't want to, that's fine too, but uh, she has some family situations that uh, 
would be interfering with her commitment to this show. So unfortunately, she is not going to be able to be with us on a regular basis. Maybe she can come on as a guest occasionally, but for the foreseeable future, there will be no vowels on this show. For those of you that were big fans of hers, and I'm sure there's a lot of you, uh, I apologize. We will be looking for another host. If you would like to volunteer as our third host, uh, please let me know. Email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, or just PM me, dandruff, on my forum. Drexel may or may not be with us tonight. He also has some prior obligations, but he may come later. He may not, and uh, I apologize for that. I know last week I was also doing the show alone, but uh, hopefully we'll have him back next week or maybe even later tonight. But for right now, it is just me. Tonight, our main portion of the show is going to be talking about the Howard Letterer interview that appeared on PokerNews.com today. Fortunately, it worked out. Uh, they, they decided to withhold the interview until Tuesday, Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, just in time for me to analyze the whole thing, to watch and analyze it. If it appeared on Wednesday, we'd be waiting six days. So the first two parts of the interview, parts two, one and two, actually, of seven, went up today. I watched them. You're going to hear clips of them, and you're going to hear my commentary on them. We're going to get to that very, very soon. Before that, I want to talk about the free roll. Our free roll is back this week. It starts at 7.40 p.m. Pacific Time. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. It's a free tournament, total free roll. You don't even need play chips. Just go to PokerFraudAlert.com, click on No Fraud Online Poker Room. You need an account there, but the account is free. You don't even need any play chips. Just go to the tournament section, sign up for the free roll. It's uh, $50 is the prize pool. And of that $50, first place, $30. Second place, $15. Third place, $5. That is thanks to user C Money, who's given us so much money for these free rolls, and I appreciate it so much. All the money from the free rolls has come from users, most of it from C-Money, but a lot from other people as well, and uh, we appreciate this so much. We have very generous users here, so the free roll, which we did not have last week, is back once again, and, and this week we have a special that everybody who makes the final table, I think it's nine people, but don't quote me on that, whoever makes the final table gets an additional bonus, even if you don't finish in the top three to win money. That bonus is coming from user Stevo. And he's giving you a one-month membership to Jonathan Little's online poker training site called FloatTheTurn.com. There's no strings attached. You don't have to sign up or, or give any credit card or anything like that. You, you just get a, an absolutely free one-month membership on FloatTheTurn.com run by Jonathan Little. And um, the only stipulation is that you have to register an account through pokerforums.org exactly as it sounds www.pokerforums.org if you want to cash in on that one month free membership that you will only get if you make the final table of this free roll tournament and on this there's no restrictions it doesn't matter if you're a new user or an old user whoever makes the final table can contact Stevo. you need to PM Stevo or read our form for instructions on how to redeem that free month at floattheturn.com. You have to follow instructions carefully or you won't get it. But that's for everybody at the final table. And the top three get uh, the money, as I described, 30, 15, and 5. So good luck if you're going to play our free roll. To qualify for the money, you need to have registered on Poker Fraud Alert by May 21st. If you were not registered on Poker Fraud Alert by May 21st, no problem. 
send me a PM or an email to dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com and just tell me what you like about this site. Tell me what you've witnessed here. Tell me what you like about this show. Tell me your favorite moments. Just convince me you didn't just show up today. Convince me you've been around for at least a little while, either here or another site I was once part of. That's all I want to hear from you, and I'll make an exception for this free roll and all future free rolls for you to win the money. Otherwise, if you contact me after you win the money, I'm not going to give it to you. You have to do this before you actually play. So that's dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com or PM to dandruff at Dan Space Druff on the forum if you are not registered by May 21st and want to qualify. If you are registered by May 21st, no problem. You qualify for the free money no matter what. And you just have to finish in the top three places. So that starts at 7.40 tonight. There is no late registration. So make sure you register by 7.40 Pacific Time. If you don't, you'll have to wait till next week. The game, once again, is No Limit Hold'em. Maybe next week we will have a different form of poker. We've had uh, No Limit a number of weeks in a row. And thank you again to Belly Buster, who is the administrator of the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which is kind of an offshoot of PokerFraudAlert.com, and it's run through PokerFraudAlert.com. But uh, Belly Buster is actually the one who is running and managing the server and is doing so at his own expense. So we really appreciate that. And appreciate C-Money for giving the money for the free roll. And appreciate our sponsor, Bracket Geek. That's right. We have one sponsor, Bracket Geek. And that's BracketGeek.com. Exactly as it sounds. B-R-A-C-K-E-T-G-E-E-K.com. And it's a way to make voting questions in bracket style. So if you have a bunch of things that you want to pit up against each other, and have one thing go against another, and those winners play each other all the way to the end, just like a, an NCAA bracket, except you're voting on things instead of having teams play each other. BracketGeek.com, totally free. It's on the iPad, iPhone, Android, or your computer. You can connect it through your Facebook, or you can register through an account there if you don't want to give them your Facebook info. BracketGeek.com, thank you to them for sponsoring this show. Anyway, let's jump right into the big story of the day. And that is, of course, the Howard Letterer interview with Poker News. Now, this is basically what happened. For reasons unknown, I think it's because Howard is trying to rebuild his image with the poker public. Now, you would think this would be less important than the civil case against him. But there's been rumblings in the poker world for some time now, for the last few weeks, that Howard is actually trying to rebuild his image and not be hated anymore be able to show his face at the World Series and elsewhere and not incur people's wrath. And when I heard these reports, I thought it was going to be some sort of like backdoor campaign to have Howard's friends kind of build him up. But this is surprising that he actually did an interview with his civil case still pending, because remember, this is a recorded interview, and anything he says here can be used against him in court. And it's very hard in a long recorded interview to not say something incriminating unless you've done absolutely nothing wrong. And I think we all know that Howard has done many, many things wrong in this situation. So very surprising, but this happens sometimes. Sometimes the accused is so narcissistic and so ego-driven that they feel they have to come out and clear their name even if they're guilty. And then they end up screwing themselves. That might be what's happening here. Anyway... Howard sat down with a guy from Poker News and did a seven-hour interview. I mean, that's an amazingly long interview. Seven hours. I know this is a very complicated and convoluted subject, the whole full tilt mess, and there's a lot of details to it that have to be fleshed out. A seven-hour interview, and what Poker News has done 
is they've edited the seven hours down to about three and a half, so they cut out half the interview, what they chose to cut out and what they chose to keep. I, I don't know what criteria they're using for that, but they cut it down to about half the interview, which is about three and a half hours, and they're making about seven 30-minute little episodes, which is cutting the same interview into seven parts, and you watch each part 30 minutes at a time. They have only released two of the seven parts today. So we're only getting to see what I believe is the first hour of the interview. And I say what I believe because I'm not 100% sure these are being released in chronological order from the way they took place in the interview, but it doesn't really matter because it was all done on the same day. So we got to see today an hour's worth of the seven hours of Howard Lederer speaking to Poker News. And parts of the interview were informative and interesting, and when I say informative and interesting, I'm not giving Howard credit. Some of it's informative by what he didn't say or what he clearly lied about more than what he actually did say. But uh, it was definitely interesting to watch, and if you have not watched it, I would suggest you go do so. You can find the interviews in the our Scam Scandals and Shadiness forum. You, you can see the embedded YouTube where you can watch each of the first two parts, and I'm sure the other five parts will be coming rather soon. But anyway, what we're going to do on this show today is analyze the first two parts. I'm going to play clips from it. And when I am playing clips, I'm not going to play the whole hour. I'm going to play the parts I felt were most important and most worthy of discussion. So I'm going to get to that right now, and I'll stop the interview after every little part I play and give you my opinion on what Howard just said, whether he's telling the truth, and what I think the truth really is. And then I'll also give you guys my opinion of this interview and how it shapes his overall strategy to fight the charges against him. Anyway, let's get to the interview itself. When I heard the first ten minutes of the first part, I was disappointed, because it didn't really reveal anything that was particularly relevant to what's going on today. It was pretty much the history of Full Tilt, how it got started, who was there at the beginning, what they did to start it, etc., etc., which I guess by itself can be interesting, but it doesn't really have relevance to today. It had no relevance to today's problems. So I'm not going to play any part of the first, like, 11 minutes of the interview. If you want to go back and listen to that, you're welcome to. And in fact, I encourage you to listen to the entire Howard Litterer interview as presented by Poker News and not just what I play here. But I'm not going to play or analyze it on this show because it's really not worthy of very much discussion. I'm going to start with around the 11-minute, 11 11.5-minute 11 mark where Howard does something that he's going to start doing throughout the rest of the interview. Take a listen. There was a CFO hired. I know his name was Alan. I know I'm just terrible with names, but uh, he, he was really good. I really liked him. Okay, why did I play that clip? Why did that clip matter? Now, what Howard was talking about was a CFO they hired in 2004 when the company started. And the important part of that little eight-second clip was the fact that Howard did not know the guy's name, or at least he claimed not to. And this is a theme you're going to see with the whole interview, in that Howard has a terrible, terrible memory. I don't believe he really does, but he wants you to believe he has a terrible, terrible memory. So here's the CFO of the company eight years ago that they hired, their very first CFO, a company Howard was very, very involved in, a company that Howard was part of the board of directors, and he does not remember the name of the original CFO. His name was Alan. He's horrible with names. Now, this might be excusable if nothing wrong had been going on at Full Tilt, if it was still operating just fine, and you saw Howard on the street and said, hey, Howard, what's the name of the CFO from back in 2004? I can understand how he might forget that name. 
But after everything that's happened, after there's a major civil case against Howard by the government against him, after there might be a criminal case against Howard, hasn't been one filed yet, but there's always that possibility, do you think he has not researched every little bit of information he can get his hands on regarding Full Tilt to protect himself? Of course he has. So there's no chance Howard does not know this guy's name. Why does he deny knowing this guy's name? Well, I think it's to set up the rest of his poor memory. Because if he can't remember the CFO's name from 2004, it makes sense that he may not remember a lot of other details that would be really incriminating to him. So I think this is kind of a setup. This is for you to get the impression that Howard really did not know what was going on at the company. He knew very little, and he found out too late. That's not the truth, but that's what he wants you to believe. I mean, that is just unbelievable. Let's hear that again. There was a CFO hired. I know his name was Alan. I know I'm just terrible with names, but uh, he, he was really good. I really liked him. <laughs> wow. Anyway, let's take a listen to the 12 and a half minute mark where the Poker News interviewer asked Howard what they did with the initial player deposits that came into the site. Now, are there multiple bank accounts at this point for uh, operating versus player funds, or, or, or how are player deposits held in, in these initial stages, like the first kind of player deposit coming through? Um, you know, do you recall the the procedure, no. the the kind of breakdown? No. Nope. I just don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just wasn't. You know, the company was strong and the reports looked good. I just it just wasn't uh, this idea of segregated trust accounts that. I don't think it was anywhere even in the industry. I don't know that people were even thinking about it. It just, I, I, it just wasn't anything that was of a real concern, you know. Oh, yeah, Howard, I understand. I understand. I mean, it's only the player deposits. It's only the money that we are trusting you to hold for us. So when we want to cash it out, it's available. You know, that it's our money that you're not spending it on your own company. That our money is our money, and you're just holding it for us. But that wasn't really a concern then. <laughs> It's just so ridiculous that we get that type of an answer from him. Of course it's a concern. It doesn't take something like Black Friday to realize that making sure player deposits are not being spent on other things is a concern. That should be concern number one when you start a poker site. And I'm not saying when you start a poker site in 2012. I mean when you started any poker site. When you started Full Tilt in 2004. When you started Planet Poker back in 2000 or whenever the hell that started. Whenever you start a poker site, it should be second nature to you to make sure that you protect the player funds. And to say that this wasn't a concern or the industry didn't really care about this is a joke. This doesn't require a lot of complex financial analysis that would have to be done by someone with an accounting degree. This is a basic concept. Players put money into the site. Is that money always there so they can take it out? Not just so 20% of the players can take it out, but can all the players take it out if they want to? Are you spending the player money or are you not spending the player money? And to say that's not a concern is just a complete lie. They obviously thought about that from the moment they put up Full Tilt. Now, No, 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 I don't know, no, 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 no. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of my two-year-old son, Benjamin, when I try to give him some food he doesn't want or try to make him do something he doesn't want to do. And he won't even let me finish when I tell him what I want him to do or what I want him to eat. It's just no, 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 no. That's what I hear from him. But he's two. That makes sense. That's what two-year-olds do. Howard is like 50, and he definitely did not want to answer that question. 
he definitely felt uncomfortable about that question and interrupted him and just came right out with, no, 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 I didn't know. No, 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 no. Leave me alone. No, 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 no. Were no. they going to break down? No. Nope. I just don't know. Okay, now an interesting thing that came out of this interview at around the 15-minute mark was the discussion of another interview that Wicked Chops Poker did with John Jawanda, who had voiced some concerns about customer service at Full Tilt. And everybody who played on Full Tilt knows that the customer service there was horrendous. And this was in contrast to Stars, who had great customer service. You know, whenever you emailed Stars customer service, you dealt with intelligent people who knew what they were doing, who usually gave you a pretty good response. Uh, full tilt customer service was awful in every way. They were unreasonable. They were rude. They would ignore you. They were slow. They would tell you inconsistent things. Uh, it was just terrible dealing with them, and there were so many horror stories. And I always wondered, how does a company with so much money, how is the second biggest poker site in the world, like Full Tilt Poker, how are they providing such terrible customer service? Why not just clean house and try again? It's not that hard to get customer service right. I always wondered that, and I've said it before on other radio shows that I've done. That was before all the uh, problems surfaced with Full Tilt after Black Friday. Well, John Juanda apparently felt the same way as I did, and many people did, and he wanted to know from Ray Bittar what the hell's going on with the customer service. Why is it so terrible? So apparently he went to Ray Bittar and questioned it and was literally told to fuck off. They told him, tough luck, you have no power. It is the way it is. Go jump in the lake. And interestingly enough, Howard Letter is pretty much admitting that this happened. Take a listen. Um, one of the stories was centered around uh, John Juanda bringing up concerns over the customer service mm -hmm. um, to both you and, and Ray. Um, and the... The former associate, the former Fulltilt Business associate, essentially said that, and I quote, John, you can't tell us how to run this company. You are an owner and nothing else. You don't run the company, so just F off. Do you have any... Who said that to This you? is a... Uh, it was a conversation that John had with Ray and yourself, according to this former employee. Okay. Um, but there was no actual attribution in terms of who said that to John, although it was quoted... By the uh, by, the source. Do you have any kind of recollection of any sort of encounter that kind of matches this description? Well, I mean, John was a vocal um, owner in the anti-Ray Batar camp, for sure. Mm -hmm. So I have no reason to not believe that that conversation happened. I have no recollection. Mm -hmm. It's one conversation from a long time ago, um, but. Certainly, John was not a Ray Bittar fan. But was I mean the, the response in terms of you know your owner and nothing else? It's a little striking in terms of the, the way that it was presented. And again, um, well, there's also an implied if you want to be more than an owner, put together a coalition of 51 percent of the other owners, toss Ray Bittar out on his ear, and start running the company. Wow, pretty callous here. So basically, Howard is admitting that if you don't like something about Full Tilt, if you're one of the non-board member owners and you find something about Full Tilt that's messed up that you want to see changed and you bring a suggestion, uh, Ray Bittar told you, forget it. I'm running it the way I feel like, and uh, if you don't like it, tough luck. You're just an owner. You're not on the board. Too bad. 
Now, I know I said I'm not going to play the beginning of the interview where they just talk about the history of the company, but this actually made me think about something Howard said early in the interview regarding the power that the non-board member owners had when the company was established. Listen to this. Anything about the company, and I mean anything about the company, could be changed by a simple majority vote of the owners. There is, I believe, one place, maybe there might be more, but I know that there is one place where there's a, there would be a two-thirds vote required, and that would have been uh, to remove a board member kind of like abruptly um, during a duly elected term. So, so that's interesting. It pretty much contradicts what Howard just said. Howard was claiming the owners had the power to get things changed. Now it's the owners really don't have the power to change anything, and that the only way you can change anything is by voting out one of the board members, which uh, he was claiming was a majority, but then early in the interview he said that you need a two-thirds majority to do it. And a two-thirds majority is very hard to get when you have a lot of people, uh, unless everyone's really, really angry. And let's think about the way Full Tilt was before Black Friday. Every single owner had a check rolling in every month, they just sat on their ass, pretty much did nothing, and got a large check, some larger than others. But I don't think anyone was really unhappy with the situation. I don't think any of you listening would have been unhappy as Full Tilt owners prior to Black Friday with a check rolling in every month that's much bigger than you ever expected. So there's no way they would get a two-thirds vote to remove Ray Bittar, even if they did have customer service issues, even if there were other problems that were valid and could be proven. I don't think they'd ever get a two-thirds majority vote, and it's unbelievable that John Juanda, when he brought his concerns over to Ray Bittar, was treated this way. So if anything, this little segment shows that John Juanda, at least, isn't really deserving of our wrath. I, I give some respect to John Juanda for stepping up and saying, hey, I don't care if I get money every month. I don't like what I'm hearing about what's going on here. So next, Howard was asked how he felt about the fact that a lot of people did not have any confidence in Ray Bittar. And when I say a lot of people, I mean full-tilt owners. And that one even called him illiterate and possessing no leadership qualities. Now listen to Howard's answer, and you'll be pretty surprised of what he considers being qualified to run a company as big and complex as full-tilt. Speaking about Ray and, and, and this kind of coalition, as you mentioned, of folks that were unhappy... Some of the, you know, kind of within the same article, uh, some former Full Tilt Associates employees, some of the terms used to describe Ray. Inexperienced, not very well educated, held no leadership aura, basically illiterate is one of the, the comments from someone. Do you think, in, in your opinion at the time, did you feel that Ray was qualified to be the CEO of Full Tilt Poker? Qualified. Not in any traditional sense, for sure. Um, I know that he had a passion for the company, you know. Um, did he have some MBA degree? No, absolutely not. You know, so from just some, you know, a level of education, uh, certainly bringing a lot of experience, no. He wasn't, he wasn't qualified, but he was also an owner. He was very invested in the company. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was, you know, brought in to run the company essentially by Chris. You know, he was Chris's friend. And um, 
I think in a lot of areas, he was doing a really good job. <laughs> That's a pretty ridiculous answer. So if you have passion for a company and you happen to be one of the owners and you happen to be friends with one of the other owners, that makes you qualified to run a very big company like Full Tilt. No, it doesn't. Howard actually gave the reasons he wasn't qualified. For example, he didn't have education. He didn't have experience in running a company like this. Uh, he mentioned a few other things that are all very good reasons why Ray Bittar should not have been running Full Tilt Poker. But notice that Howard also puts the blame on the shoulders of Chris Ferguson. He said it was Chris's decision. He said he was Chris's friend. He's kind of throwing Chris under the bus here. Howard is trying to come off as the guy who really didn't make any wrong decisions. He was the guy who just wasn't informed enough to really understand what was going on and was just kind of naive. That's all he wants you to see him as, was naive, and maybe he should have kept better tabs as to what was going on there. And this is part of it, the whole Ray Bittar thing. The whole thing like, oh, he seemed to be doing a pretty good job, and you know, Chris brought him in, he was Chris's guy, and as far as I could tell, he was doing fine. So yeah, yeah, he wasn't really qualified in a traditional sense, but it seemed okay to me. That's what he's trying to have you come away with, is that he didn't know, that he had no clue that uh, Ray Bittar had no business running this company. Next, Howard talks about the extra cash that the company found itself with in 2007 and how they decided to distribute it to the owners because, you know, what else would you ever use extra cash for in a company? And then he goes on to tell a little humanizing story about Chris Ferguson. So listen to this, and I'll give you my commentary afterwards. So I don't know that it was any one particular person's idea to start distributions in terms of, you know, the company had a lot of XX cash mm -hmm. at the time. I think a good 20, 30 million in just extra cash that it didn't need or we didn't think it needed at the mm -hmm. time. I'm sure that there was a member discussion about it and I'm sure that the board at some point determined, okay, it's time to to consider and to talk to the members about, you know, talk, talk to the members about the distributions. Um, I can tell you that there's one person amongst the membership who was always very anti-distributions, never wanted to make them in the first place, always argued very strongly against them, and always argued that every single distribution that the company made would weaken the company. And uh, that was Chris Ferguson. He didn't really have any use for the money. He didn't care about the money. Um, he's the opposite of greedy mm -hmm. that way. Um, you know, ov over the years, once the money started rolling in, I mean, he didn't even... I, I remember visiting him in his house just in 2010 or 11. It was seemed like a house that he had owned for a while. Mm -hmm. 1,500 square foot house in a regular neighborhood in Las Vegas. Um, he just wasn't a big spender that way, you know. His his lavish spending was on the occasional one those capes he wore or whatever, <laughs> a new hat. Uh, and then, you know, ultimately his African charity. So here's where Howard, I believe, is mixing fact and fiction. I do believe from reports I've heard that Chris Ferguson is kind of a simple man who doesn't feel like he has the need for tens or hundreds of millions of dollars, that uh, it's kind of secondary to him. Not that he doesn't want the money, but it's not all that important to him. And this is supported by the fact that Chris 
did not take all the money out of full tilt that he could have. They actually owed him money, a lot of money, like $60 million, I heard, when they came crashing down. Obviously, he'll never see that money, not that he deserves it. But uh, on the other hand, did you see Chris Ferguson offering any of the vast fortune that he did take out of full tilt back to the players after full tilt went down? No, he didn't. He stayed silent. He didn't offer a damn thing to anyone. And I don't think he feels anyone deserves that money. And I hate when people come forward and claim that they care about the little guy or they don't care about money, this and that. But when it comes to their actions, when it comes to making it right with the people that they affected with their actions that caused other innocent people to lose money, that those who claim to be so caring and claim to not care about money don't want to reach into their own pocket to pay the affected people, to pay the people they screwed over. If you're a good person and you screw someone over and they suffer, they lose money because of you, a good person will pay them back. A good person will make up for the damages without being forced to through a court of law. But Chris Ferguson did not do that. So you can't say that Chris does not care about money. Uh, all you can say is that he was accumulating so much that he didn't have the need for $100 million if he already had $40 million, especially because he didn't have an immediate need to spend it. Chris Ferguson is not one of these guys who, as soon as he gets millions of dollars, he feels he has to run out and live a much um, more extravagant lifestyle. He's the guy who's going to accumulate the money and then use it one day when he needs it, maybe to start another company, maybe to do something else, but that he doesn't feel the need to build a beautiful house or buy a bunch of expensive cars. That's just not Chris Ferguson, and I can relate to that because I'm like that too. If I came into $100 million tomorrow, I would not immediately super upgrade my lifestyle. I would sit on the $100 million and think, what do I want to do with it? I, I would change my lifestyle eventually to be equivalent to uh, what someone would live with a $100 million bankroll, but I would not run out and spend it all. I wouldn't feel the need to immediately change my lifestyle like a lot of other people would. So I can relate to what Chris Ferguson thinks about money, but you can't say he doesn't care about money, because if he didn't care, we would have the money that Chris Ferguson has right now as payback for what occurred at Full Tilt. And now he may feel he doesn't have to because poker stars bought Full Tilt, but that didn't happen until recently, and we didn't see Chris Ferguson offering us anything. Now, getting back to Howard's comments about the 20 or 30 million excess dollars that they found in the Full Tilt accounts in 2007 that they distributed to the owners, you know, profit that they thought they would never need again to operate the company. Uh, this is exactly what was going on there. This is exactly the thinking that they had there that caused all this to happen, where every single time they made a little bit of money that they thought they could call profit, they took it out and they distributed it to all the different owners, and that money could never be used again for the company. It's kind of like if you were playing online poker, and every time you had a winning session, you cashed out, and you never redeposited and couldn't redeposit. What would happen? Well, you'd eventually go bust, because eventually you're going to have a losing day. You're not going to win every single day like you did today when you're cashing out. And if you cash out after every single winning session, you're going to go bust. Well, that's basically what they did there. Every time that they could find a way to call something profit, they cashed it out. And then the, money was le the, the company was left with nothing. And the bigger problem was that they saw player deposits as kind of like a, a backup source of funding. Like, let's say there was $400 million of player deposits and $20 million they had above that, they saw their bankroll of full tilt to be $420 million rather than 20 And it should have been 20 because the first 400 if that's player deposits, you can't touch that. It's not your money. You can't spend it. You can't see it as backup in case you, you, know, you blow through the 20 too quickly. 
That's money you just absolutely can't ever touch, and they never saw it that way. You can tell Howard still does not see it that way. You can tell Howard does not feel guilty about this. You can tell Howard does not see himself as a thief. And I don't think any of these people see themselves as thieves. I think they really believe that they just made a few strategical mistakes in business. It's not like that at all. And you can tell that from Howard's response right there, and you'll hear other responses of his that, that are just disgusting. And then came the natural question. If you're distributing money to the owners this frequently, how do you know you're only distributing profits and not touching the player deposits? And here's what Howard had to say about that. I mean, is, is at any point now when we're talking about distributions where money's getting paid out to shareholders, is there a conversation or, or a methodology for, you know, differentiating between accounts? I would say no. Um, again, it wasn't, it wasn't my area. You know, I'm not a financial guy. I'm not an accountant. I was being shown sort of some kind of a general balance sheet slash financial report often enough where I was very confident that we had cash well in excess of customer deposits at all times when distributions were being paid. Uh, and I don't think our regulator was demanding that and there wasn't pressure from the poker community wasn't demanding that from the company. Um, you know, I, looking back on it, I know it sounds bad, but it just wasn't, it was, there was definitely, look, from a, from every owner on down, no owner, people were pushing for distributions, but, but no owner would have wanted distributions mm -hmm. if we didn't have cash in excess of what our, our player balances were. So I, I don't, it would be completely unfair to characterize the owners as, you know, greedy. They just wanted a money grab and they wanted to take the player's money. Absolutely not true. You know, Howard, for once I agree with you. I actually believe that just about all of the full-tilt owners did not know what was going on, that they really thought they were only receiving profits and that they did not know they were receiving player deposits. And I believe that if some of them knew that some of them would have said, no, I don't want that money. If it's the player's money, I feel like I'm stealing it. I think that some of the owners would have stood up and said, this is wrong. Even if they knew they could get away with it, they would have said, this is wrong. Some of them would have been greedy enough to still take it. I'm not going to name names. But I do believe that the players were mostly in the dark. And why were they in the dark? Because they were trusting the board of directors. They were trusting the people like Howard Lederer and Chris Ferguson and Ray First and Ray Batar to know what was going on there and to distribute only profits and not distribute player deposit money. Make sure that the player deposit money is protected. I believe that the owners, all the, you know, the smaller owners that didn't have visibility into this did trust that it was being done properly and honestly. So Howard, it's on you. It's on you and your few friends there who were higher up at Full Tilt that did have the visibility and chose to continue distributing player funds. So I'm glad you're standing up for the other owners, but it's just making you look worse. It's making you look more guilty because you were the one tasked with preventing this. And I don't care if this wasn't your area. You had a high enough position at Full Tilt to where you had visibility into what was going on, and you let it continue. And I, I think it's very possible that not only did you let it continue, that you were all for it. 
So then Howard goes on to say something just completely ludicrous, and that is that uh, they didn't really know they were distributing player money, that they just saw a bunch of accounts, and they didn't really add up the money, and just kind of distributed it, because they, they felt that the company was fine, and they didn't really understand what they were doing. Those are not the words he used, but that's what he's trying to say here in this upcoming little clip. So as far as you knew at the time, and as far as kind of all shareholders, for that matter, were, were informed, you know, their distributions weren't coming out of accounts that also no. held player funds in. No. No, but I wouldn't, but again, I wouldn't say that at, at really any time in the company's history was it like those are the player accounts. It was just those were the bank accounts and the processor accounts, and then there's this account over here that the company is paying its bills from. Right. If all those other accounts over there hold more money than are owed to the players, that was okay. It seemed okay. Our regulator at the time was happy with it. Mm -hmm. Seemed reasonable to me. So this is where Howard contradicts himself, because first he says they just had a bunch of different accounts, and some money was here, and some money was there, and it's kind of hard to keep track of, and they didn't really think about it, and uh, you know, and that they never really distributed player money. But then he went on to say that they just made sure that all the, t the accounts together, as long as they were greater in total than what the players were owed, then that was fine, and that was fine with the regulator. Well, that would have been fine, but that's not what happened. They did spend the player money. There's no doubt about that. Uh, they pretty much admitted that. So I don't know how Howard can be saying, no, we never really did that. Or we've always made sure that if the accounts all add up in total to be more than the player balances, we're okay. You weren't okay because that's not what you did. You spent the player money. So that's just a dumb response. It's a lie. And you can tell with a no, 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 no again that he's feeling uncomfortable and he's telling you something that's not true. So no. help. No. No, but no. The, no. No. Nope. I just don't know. So help. No. No, but no. No. Nope. I just don't know. No. 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 Do you want to get down? No. Do you want to stay in your chair? No. Do you want to eat? No. Do you want a drink? No. Do you want to go night-night? No. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. The power of no. So next, Howard explains that once the company moved to Dublin, Ireland, that's when he lost control of everything, and that's when everything started to go downhill because he wasn't in charge anymore, and he couldn't ride herd on the people who were doing wrong. I definitely, look, when we were 100 strong in L.A., and I was there like 60-70% of the time, I had a really good handle. I had a really good relationship with a lot of the employees. And I had a lot of influence over company culture. I definitely lost control of that in Dublin. Did that concern you at all? I wasn't happy about it. A lot of it was completely out of my control in terms of, like, I couldn't have prevented it because when you move to a new country, you have to abide by the, the mores of that society in terms of how hard you can push certain employees, um, the kinds of hours you can expect of them, uh, your management style. Um, how employees are hired and fired. 
See, now I already understand what he's trying to say here, and it's just totally not true. He's saying that when you pick up and move your operations to another country, and when the employees over there don't do a very good job, or when they can't work enough hours because they have different labor laws there, or it's harder to fire people when they don't do a good job, et cetera, et cetera, that you just have to kind of take it. You just have to accept the fact that that's part of moving elsewhere. No, that's not true. That's just absolutely not true. You can always fix anything with money. If your employees are not working hard enough, and you can't fire them because of local laws and customs and, as you call them, mores, then you can hire other employees to take the load off of them. You can transfer the responsibilities over from the people who are not doing a good job to the ones that are. Or you can hire other employees to take over the tasks that are too difficult for the ones that are currently not performing. You can always do these things. You can't blame it on the culture you're moving to. That's a cop-out, especially with all this extra money. You guys distributed $460 million to yourselves. And you're telling me you didn't have the money to hire additional employees or better employees there in Dublin? And that's why the company spun out of control? That's why the company had customer service issues? No. That's ridiculous. That's an excuse. The truth is, you didn't care. As long as the checks kept coming as long as the distributions kept coming, as long as your wallet got a lot fatter, you didn't care. Ray Batar said, okay, here's that check again you're expecting, and you did not care. Even if you knew what was happening, even if you knew of the problems, you didn't care because it had all been working out so far, and if it's been working out this way for six, seven years, hey, I'm sure it can work this way for another six, seven years, right? Unbelievable. So that was the end of part one, and that was released this morning, September 18th, 2012. And after everybody had a little bit of time to digest that, a few hours later, early afternoon, I think, they released part two of the same interview. Remember, it is the same long seven-hour interview that they chopped up into seven parts. So here's part two. It's the last part that's available at the time of this broadcast. I'm going to go over some highlights from the second part. And uh, you know what? Maybe we'll do it all again next week when we get the other parts released to us by Poker News. In this next clip, Howard spins the very unlikely tale that Ray Bittar assured him that the payment processors they were using were not breaking any laws, were not tricking any banks, and were totally transparent. That all the banks they were dealing with totally understood that these were online gambling transactions and that there was no trickery, chicanery, or money laundering going on. And Ray Bittar said it, so why the hell should he ever have questioned it? Listen to this. After UIGEA, there were different processors offering ACH. Mm-hmm. And um, I would hear about them here or there, uh, but it wasn't my area. And I can tell you that whenever I heard about a new payment processing processor offering ACH, I was assured by Ray and company counsel that uh, those processes, uh, that those processors and those payments were transparent, that the banks knew. See, this is the problem. This is the problem right here. Howard wants to talk about transparency. I'll tell you what's transparent is his lies. He's obviously lying about this. There's no way he didn't know that the shady payment processors that he was using after NetTeller went down were breaking the law, were tricking the banks. That was obvious. And the funny thing is most poker players don't really care about that part because we knew it. Like, we understood that playing on Full Tilt and Poker Stars after the UIGEA required the sites to break the law to continue serving us poker. Fine. We knew that. We accepted it. But you're lying about it. You're, you're pretending you didn't know, and that's what you're doing about everything. 
So while people aren't really angry at you for tricking the banks, they're angry at you for lying about everything else that led to their money being stolen. It's very clear, Howard, that you knew about the payment process of breaking the law. It's very clear you knew about the player's money being spent. It's very clear that you knew about Full Tilt's whole strategy with the distributions and how it led to the company's ruin, and you did nothing about it, and you did not care. And in fact, I think you supported it, and in fact, this may have been partially your idea. So this is just another example of Howard just blatantly lying to people. And I'm not expecting him to come on here and incriminate himself, but at the very least, don't tell bald-faced, transparent lies that everyone knows are simply not the truth. You're going to like this story now. This is Howard Letterer approaching Ray Batar after Black Friday and saying, hey, you know, uh, I'm reading in the indictment that the banks really didn't know that it wasn't transparent, that we were tricking the banks with our cash-outs and with our deposits. Is this true, Ray? And this is what Ray supposedly did to prove to Howard that everything was fine. Um, and then I can offer you one other fact that I know, and that is when I was in Dublin after April 15th. At some point... I'm just sort of having a casual conversation with Ray, and I'm just saying, what's up with, like, these banks that were named in the indictment? And he said, oh, no, they were absolutely transparent. And I said, well, you know, okay. And, you know, he, like, pulled, he, he opened up a drawer. He had a drawer with a transparency letter. And the letter was on the letterhead from the bank, from, I think, the president of the bank or some, I, I don't know, some, some officer of the bank. That said that the bank had a legal opinion that processing poker transactions was legal and that they knew they were processing poker transactions for this particular processor. I, I don't remember which bank or any, anything, but, but I know that, I mean, that's, as far as that particular relationship, I know that that was a transparent one. <laughs> Can you believe that story? How likely do you think it's true that Howard Letterer, even after Black Friday, still did not know that the payment processors were lying to the banks and tricking them, and that he went up to Ray Batar in his office, went up to him in person and said, uh, Ray, what's this I'm reading about in the Black Friday indictments about, uh, about this, this lack of transparency with the banks? And then Ray Batar walks up to his file cabinet, pulls out a single sheet of paper showing him a letter from an officer of a bank that they have a legal opinion that this is okay to do and that they fully know that this is poker-related. And then Howard's like, well, okay, thanks for showing me, Ray. And then that's it, and he believes it. What's the chances that that actually occurred that way, or that this occurred at all? Zero point zero. Exactly, zero point zero. I mean, there's no chance that Howard did not know what was going on with the payment processors. Even I knew what was going on with the payment processors. I'm sure you knew what was going on with the payment processors. I'm sure we all knew that the banks were being tricked, that the banks were being lied to. Now, what about this bank he's talking about that gave that letter with the company letterhead that Ray Batar showed him? Well, there is a real bank that did actually know what they were doing, and that was Sun First Bank, based out of Utah, and that is because Full Tilt and PokerStars made a large investment in the bank in exchange for them looking the other way for processing poker payments. And that's why the guy at Sunfirst, John Campos, who facilitated this, he was an officer at the bank, I think a vice president or something, uh, he actually got indicted and he pled guilty. So that's the bank he's talking about here. He's not naming them and he's pretending not to know. He's pretending not to know John Campos's name. He's pretending not to know Sunfirst is the name of the bank. But that's what's such a joke here. Do you think Howard Letter, after all he's been through, after 
all the proceedings that have been filed against him, that he doesn't know the name of Sunfirst Bank, that he doesn't know the name of John Campos, the guy who was enabling the whole thing. That's where he's coming off just so disingenuous. That's where he's coming off as so dishonest. I mean, he might as well admit to knowing some of these things instead of just playing dumb with everything. And when he tells preposterous stories like this, it just destroys the slightest bit of credibility he might still have. With me, he has no credibility. But I'm talking about with everybody else. Uh, if you had any doubt that Howard Lederer was a liar and a snake, statements like this, stories like this, should remove all doubt. And listen to this uncomfortable denial about their investing in that bank, that Sun First Bank. I don't believe that that's what Full Tilt did. I don't think Full Tilt invested in any of these banks. That I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But I don't think that Full Tilt ever did. And I would disagree with that characterization. But I don't know. I don't know. Could have happened. So more I don't know, I don't know, maybe it happened could have happened. You even hear him have this like uncomfortable pause where he says, I don't agree with that characterization. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Could have happened. This guy really knows very little for someone that has had a year and a half now to look into this entire situation. Anything he didn't know before, somehow in a year and a half since his whole company crashed down, since he knew he would be legally on the hook for what happened, somehow a year and a half later, he still doesn't know. Even though everyone else knows, he's the only one still in the dark to this day. Like, can you believe this? Go ahead, be greedy. Well, I don't know. Oh, Some of you might recognize that from the show You Can't Do That on Television, especially if you're in your 30s or 40s and watched Nickelodeon back in the 1980s. But on that show, whenever a kid said, I don't know, they would get slimed. Green slime would fall from the sky and just drench them. And I kind of wish that Howard Lederer was on that show, because he probably wouldn't be able to breathe after all the slime that would fall on him. But I don't know. I don't know. Here's a little question and answer session regarding disgraced payment processor Daniel Sveskov. Can you talk at all about... Daniel Svetkov and what your recollection of, of a relationship if any uh, the, the company or, or you in particular had with him never spoken to, I have no recollection of him I have nothing to say about him okay. and obviously Svetkov becomes the, the one of the people that many believe to be uh, has turned on on uh, the essentially kind of taking himself out of harm's way by revealing information he had on full tilt. Yeah, I just, again, I can't, I never met with a payment processor during my entire time at, my, at the company or after I left, short of, I remember one time at a party, Ray saying, hey, meet so-and-so, he's processing with us, and I said hi. Mm -hmm. I just, that wasn't what I did. I didn't meet any of these people. I didn't have a relationship with any of them. Did you know so, that Full Tilt was attempting to sue Svetskoff at, at a point or, or into Bill? Oh, I heard about that, yeah. And then eventually that was rumored that Full Tilt actually tipped off that he was in the United States to the uh, FBI and was influential in having him uh, actually arrested. Might be the case. I don't know. 
So there we go once again with the unbelievable denials. He's claiming he had no association with Daniel Spitzkoff. He knew nothing about that. Uh, he doesn't meet payment processors. He, he met a payment processor one time at a party where Ray brought the guy up to him and said, Hey, he processed payments for us. Oh, okay, hi. And that's how it went. <laughs> but not Daniel Spetchkov, just some other payment processor. So he gets around the question by saying, I didn't meet any of them. Well, you don't have to meet them. You can talk to them on the phone. You can deal with them through email. Ray can deal with them for you. That doesn't mean you didn't know about them or your company's dealings with them. He didn't ask you if you'd met Daniel Svetkov. He asked if you knew Daniel Svetkov. And, of course, Daniel Svetkov, he's the one who was busted by the government, who seems to be cooperating with the government, who stole $100 million from Full Tilt and Poker Stars and was eventually turned in by Full Tilt and Poker Stars when he was in the U.S. They tipped off the FBI or the DOJ, whoever was going to go get him that he was in the U.S. to get him back for stealing from them. So you're telling me that Howard did not know about this? Howard only knew a little bit about this lawsuit against his company? I, I mean, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke that Howard claims not to know these things when it's so clear that he was in the know of all of this. I mean, there's no way you can't know that a guy stole $100 million from you and Poker Stars. How can you not know that with Howard's position at full tilt? It's not possible. So, I don't know why he says things like this. He should at least take responsibility for knowing some things that everyone knew that he had to have knowledge of. Or just don't do an interview like this. Because it's crazy and it just makes him look like a complete liar, which he is. So here Howard is asked about co-conspirator number one. This is in the DOJ indictment where it talks about an email that a customer sent to Ray Batar and to CC1, that's uh, co-conspirator one, who is accused of being Howard Letterer, or suspected of being Howard Letterer. And he's asked, number one, are you co-conspirator one? And number two, how did you respond to the customer's email? Did you get this email, and how did you respond to it? And this is an email asking, are my funds safe? Are my funds segregated? So here's what Howard had to say about that. It's pretty eye-opening. A customer emailed Full Till Poker to say that, and I quote, he was very concerned about the risk of depositing money, and he asked, is my money that I have in my full tilt account held in trust? The next day, it said the customer service representative forwarded the email to Ray and CC1, or, or co-conspirator number one. Did you receive this email in particular, and, and can you confirm or deny that you are, in fact, co-conspirator number one? Well, I'm not going to confirm or deny um, who co-conspirator one is, but I, I can confirm that I did get that email, uh, and it was an important email um, to me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Even though it wasn't my area, and you know, as 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 we've discussed before, um, I really hadn't given it a lot of thought. But by March of 2008, I knew that I was going to resign from the company uh, in September of 2008. Mm -hmm. And it was a question that um, that I wanted that I wanted an answer to. Not actually, not the actual question, because I knew the answer to the actual question, which is: Is my money held in tr in a trust account or in trust? In trust. In trust. Yeah. Um, and I, and 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 I knew that wasn't the case, mm -hmm. but. I thought it was very important that the company did to provide that customer an accurate and good answer to his question. Um, 
So I think I think I, I, I think I just responded with something like um, we need to provide this customer a good answer to this question. I'm not sure. I who was in on the process in terms of you know, uh, the, the, the mostly company counsel, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, I certainly, I was, I, I was, a, I was certainly aware of like balance sheets again, as mm-hmm. I had said, in terms of in terms of cash coverage, but I had never seen a document, a financial document within the company that just answered that question: Do we have more cash? in company accounts than we have in player liability. A few interesting points to take away from this whole mess of an answer. First of all, why even deny that you're a co-conspirator one? I mean, that's that's the least of your concerns here, Howard. You either are or you aren't, and the government already knows if you are or you aren't. So why say, I'm not going to confirm or deny I'm co-conspirator one? Not that it's that important, but he admits he got the email, which is the important part. And then he says that his response was um, um, uh, that we have to give them a good a, a good answer to his question. I doubt that was his response. Let's give the guy a good answer to his question. I'm sure that they thought about this one long and hard. How do we give an answer that they will accept and that we don't have to prove? That they can't prove that we're lying, but where we don't scare people that we're in trouble, that we're spending their funds. That's what I'm sure the conversation was. There's some form of that. Not, uh, we have to, to give them a good answer. I, I, I don't know, but that, that's, that's what I think I told them. <laughs> this, this whole interview is just so dishonest. It's it just uh, so many denials that are so clearly not true. But the other thing of note here is where he finally addresses the fact that he doesn't know, or didn't know at the time, whether they had more money on hand than the player balances. Before he was claiming that the way they were auditing the company was just by adding up all their bank accounts, and if they were more than the player deposits, then they were fine, and that was good enough for the regulator. Well, suddenly now, they don't know. They don't know if uh, they have more than what's in the player deposits. They don't know if you add that all together, if they have enough money to cover everything they owe the players. Well, how did that happen? I thought they were very diligent in checking this. I thought that's the baseline they were using for financial health, for deciding when to pay out to their owners. So, so many contradictions here, and we're not even an hour through the whole thing. Here's Howard talking about his efforts in 2008, the spring of 2008, to try and get the answer as to whether they had more money on hand than they did in player balances. In the... March, April, probably into May time frame, I, I endeavored to have the company financial department be able to produce a document that could answer the fundamental question, which is, did we have more cash on hand in our various accounts than we owed our customers? And that wasn't necessarily the easiest document to produce, mm-hmm. at least for for the for 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 the finance department. Um, they had never had to do that particular document. Uh, but I believe that by the early summer of 2008, that document was being produced on a weekly basis, at least monthly. 
Well, this is a very strange answer for a few reasons. First of all, how is it difficult for the finance department to produce a document saying how much money the company has versus the player balances? It's very easy. You add up your bank accounts. You break out that calculator, you know, a device that was invented uh, many decades ago. Break out that calculator, enter all your bank balances, and there you go. You have the cash on hand. You know how much you have there. Then you add up from your database of full tilt players all the player balances there, and you know how much that number is. And if the player balance number is bigger than the cash on hand, then you have been spending player money, and you better replenish it immediately. If the cash on hand is bigger than the player balances, then you're okay. Now, how hard was that? How hard was it to make that document? If I was working in the finance department, even though I have no finance background, I could produce that document probably in about two hours or less. How come it was so difficult for them to produce that document? And then once they did, I don't understand what happened, because he was claiming they were producing it on a monthly basis. If that's true, then what the hell happened? How did they not know? If they had this document since 2008, telling them the player balances and telling them the cash on hand with all the bank accounts combined then shouldn't they have known that they were spending player balances? I mean, this is pretty much incriminating himself right there. Next, the Poker News interviewer goes over a follow-up email that was sent from that concerned player to Full Tilt and Ray Bittar's response to that player. And listen to Howard's response when he hears this whole thing. It's the strangest response that he's given yet. And then the customer emailed seeking further clarification. Um, as to whether player funds are held in segregated accounts which can't be used by the company itself. Uh, again, reviewed by, by Ray, uh, and he approved the following draft which stated, players' funds at Full Tilt Poker are kept in several deposit accounts throughout the world, all of which are separate and distinct from our operating accounts. Funds are transferred from player deposit accounts to FTP operating accounts only after we have earned them. This is not done each time FTP earns a rake or even daily, but as FTP's earnings accumulate, we make periodic transfers of earnings from the deposit accounts to the operating accounts, from which we pay outside expenses, full tilt employees, and ultimately shareholders of the company. Again, to me, it's, it's a very well thought out, well written email, and it details very clearly the safety of player accounts, and, and this time almost the process in which Full Tilt Poker is paying itself out of these accounts once it earns the money. Was there ever a time, to your understanding, that this process w was not in fact used, or, or was this, were you aware, or, or when this email was written, how did that kind of conversation of the process of depositing money from player accounts into to operating accounts I, I, to get... I don't recall that particular email. I don't know that I ever saw that email. Mm -hmm. I know I didn't write that email. Seems like an odd email, actually. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's just... It's very expensive. Um, I, 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 though I think in 2008 it was probably accurate. It just seems like an odd email yeah. to me. Um, I don't know. I may have seen it and approved it, I, 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 but I don't know. I don't think so. Is that... Yeah, that seems like an odd email to me. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. But um, just sort of in its level of detail, but I mean, that is what a poker company does. Sure. It's sort of describing what a poker company does. Right. Right. As long as, as, long as you have sort of an operating account that isn't 
you know, where the money goes into that operating account, then it's used to pay expenses. And then when you do your sort of audit of all your other accounts, you have more than enough money in all your other accounts. Mm -hmm. That would seem to be an accurate email. It just seems like an odd email to me. I'll tell you what's odd, Howard. It's not the email. It's your response. First of all, you didn't answer the question. He asked, did you guys deviate from what Ray Batars told that customer is done with player funds? And instead of saying what you guys did, you just described the way the process should be. What a poker company does, you said. Well, that's what a poker company should do, but that's what Full Tilt didn't do. That's why Full Tilt ended up in the position they were. So I don't know why you're lecturing us about what a poker company does when your company didn't do it. And the bottom line is that Ray blew smoke up this customer's ass with a lot of nice-sounding words about how his money is being handled. But in reality, you guys were not following that protocol. So it's not an odd email, Howard. The only thing odd about it is that something nice was said, something was said that makes it sound like Full Tilt does business honestly, and in reality, you guys were stealing the money. That's the only thing I find odd, and after everything we've seen for the last year and a half, uh, I don't find it that odd anyway. Here's the Poker News interviewer describing a letter from Ray Bittar to customer service telling them what to tell the one or two guys a month that write in who are uncomfortable about the safety of their funds. Uh, a very callous response from Ray Bittar saying that your funds are at risk and Howard's reaction to that letter. But on March 23, Ray emails CC1 and FTP counsel, general counsel, and says that the company needs a good canned response for the one or two guys who write in a month. And he went on to say, uh, and, and this is a quote, bottom line is we are not a bank, even though we might act like one, and therefore customer funds will always be at risk. Customer funds will always be at risk. Again, this is a, is a fairly strongly worded email in terms of, you know, obviously I don't have the full context of the email that's not uh, available, but a statement like customer funds will always be at risk. How at that point, when, when the CEO kind of, to me, that, that doesn't seem like something that I would feel comfortable with, um, you know, working or, or, or trusting a guy that's that's literally saying my customers' player uh, funds will always be at risk. I don't believe that's what he was saying there. What What do you believe he was saying? I think he's just saying, look, um, you know, maybe somehow the someday the DOJ just, you know, it's possible. You just never know. You know, this isn't like a bank with FDIC insurance. Maybe it's possible that somehow... You know, the company gets shut down and all the bank accounts get seized. There's no, you know, there's a, there's a legal risk to the company. I knew it. I knew that would be Howard's answer, and it's so not true. What Ray Batar was trying to say is that even though we seem to act like a bank, meaning that you can deposit, you can withdraw, and we show a balance, your money is actually at risk. And at risk means if the company goes under, it's gone. At risk means if we waste your money, it's gone. We're not holding your money in an account where you can always access it. It may be at risk at any time. He didn't get specific, but that's what he meant. And that turned out to be the truth. There's no point to debate what he meant, because the truth was, it was at risk not because the government seized it. It was at risk because Ray Batar, Howard Letterer, Ray First, Chris Ferguson, et al. spent the money. They spent our money. They stole our money. There's no question anymore, because... 
That's what really happened. It's not just at risk. We actually lost it. <laughs> I don't know why Howard is trying to spin it at this point, saying that Ray meant it's only at risk because of government action. No. Another lie, and Howard knows it. I just want to take a moment to mention that Ray Bittar is a complete asshole. Can you imagine? Tell the one or two guys writing in every month their money's at risk. So what he's trying to say is very few people give a shit about this or even think about this. And for the few that do, for the few that are smart enough to see through what we're pulling, just tell them, your money's at risk. Tough luck. Thank you for playing. Unbelievable. And, you know, Howard was CC'd on that email. CC1, co-conspirator 1, got the email from Ray Bittar. So he knew that this is what was being said to the one or two guys, and he was fine with it, because as I've maintained the whole time, as most people believe, Howard Letterer was in on the whole thing. He knew about the whole thing. He was not an innocent victim of Ray Bittar's mismanagement. Here's Howard Letterer being asked a question by the Poker News interviewer as to who had access to the financials of Full Tilt. And listen to this BS answer. Who had access to the accounts that were listed in the documents? I mean, was it simply just the CFO and Ray? I mean, who who was the accounting team? I don't know. You know, it was it was just the the accounting team would gather up all the information necessary to to produce the report. And so, when you're reviewing the document and you're looking at, you know, the the numbers being uh, provided to you. I mean, is there a system at all of, of checks and balances, or is it just, you know, we've hired good people, these are accurate numbers, you know, we're, we're going to move forward and trust that these are, these are true? I, had, I, had, I, I certainly made it clear what I, what I wanted to go into that report. Mm-hmm. Very early on in the process, I might have sat down even with one of them and just sort of said, okay, now where, where does this number come from? Kind of thing, you know. Again, I'm not I'm not a trained accountant, but I but I, I wanted to make sure that the numbers that I was looking at were accurate, mm-hmm. and um, it was explained to me. And then there was this report, and I trusted this report. I had no reason not to trust this report. See, I really hate this excuse about the financial department. Howard definitely knew at all times what the financial picture of Full Tilt was. There's no way that you are so involved with the company that you have such a big stake in the company and that you've been so actively involved in the management of the company and that you don't know its financial position at the moment. There's no way you don't know that. And this is like passing the buck to faceless people in the financial department and this way he doesn't look as guilty. But believe me, Howard knew the whole time and I'm still not understanding these reports that were being generated. Um, how did he not see at some point that uh, things were starting to go south? That things were not adding up as far as the money they had versus what they owed the players? And I know he's going to claim this probably happened after he left and retired from management in late 2008. But that he remained on the board of directors. He definitely had access, and he definitely wanted to see this. There's no way that you leave for management and you don't want to see the financials of the company anymore when you're still on the board of directors and when you still own a large piece of the company and when you're so financially invested in it. There's no way you just shrug your shoulders and let someone else manage all the finances and not even show you. There's no way. Here is how we're talking about who they brought in to help manage Full Tilt when he stepped down from his management role and how he felt about that and the people they brought in. Uh, What ended up happening was Ray did bring in a lot of senior managers, some good people, some people with experience in the industry. I think that the 
company started to grow up just from a management process mm-hmm. point of view. Um, definitely some, some good people were brought in. Um, but I obviously regret very much that there was never, the company never brought in that O-level person. When he talks about an O-level person, he's referring to a COO, and that there was no COO after he left his management position. But let's talk about the people he was referring to that came in and helped the company grow up. Well, if that's true, if these were good people, experienced people that were brought in, how come Full Tilt got managed into the ground? How come Full Tilt was broke after making all that money? How are these good people? How do they do a good job? How are they making these mistakes if they're so experienced? It's, it's just a lot of contradictions in this whole interview. This is yet another one. So after all this, what do you think Howard would classify as the company's biggest mistake? You think the biggest mistake would be spending all the player funds? You think the biggest mistake would be lying to people for so long before admitting that they spent the player funds? For putting up messages on their site shortly after Black Friday that your funds are safe when they were actually gone? You think any of those things might be their biggest mistake? No. Howard seems to think this is his biggest mistake. You know, look, where where we really misstepped, I think, as a board and as an ownership, is that we should have recognized. I mean, it's so obvious looking back on it now. Um, my greatest regret in all of this is that we were operating as a California LLC. We're a Dublin company, you know, but the ultimate ownership is still this California LLC and it's using an operating agreement that was crafted for a startup in 2003. You know, and that's our inexperience and that was our laziness, I guess. Oh, wait, wait. What? That's your greatest regret? That's the biggest mistake? Operating as a California LLC when you're a Dublin company? That was the big lesson you learned from this whole thing? That was your inexperience? Not stealing $400 million from the players? That wasn't your greatest mistake? Not lying to everyone after you couldn't pay them after Black Friday? That wasn't your biggest mistake? No. (laughs) Being a California LLC when you're a Dublin company, that was the big mistake that Howard Lederer and Full Tilt made. Unbelievable. And that's the way the interview ends. (laughs) Not really ends, but it's to be continued. To be continued, another five parts of this coming, and I can only imagine the Whoppers that Howard Letter is going to serve up in those parts. And we will analyze those in the coming weeks. So keep it right here, PokerFraudAlert.com, next week and the coming weeks to hear all about my opinionated opinion of the BS that Howard Letterer continues to sling. Anyway, how do I feel about this whole interview so far? I think it's full of lies. I think that this is Howard's really lame and misguided attempt to rebuild his image to try to convince what he thinks is a very gullible poker public into believing that he had no clue what was going on and that it's other people's fault, not his. So he can return and hold his head high with dignity in the poker world. And I heard about this a few weeks ago. I heard, and I reported on this show, that Howard was going to make some kind of attempt, though I didn't think of anything like this, to rebuild his reputation. But I don't think it's going to work. I don't think anyone's going to fall for it. And I think this was, at least so far, a very poor effort on his part. And he's just trying to trick people. And people don't appreciate being lied to. People don't appreciate being tricked. And while you can sometimes pull the wool over the masses' eyes, when you lie too often, when your whole interview is pretty much one big lie, people see through that. And they just get 
angry at you, and I don't think I don't think you're going to have many people watching this interview and coming away with a more positive impression of Howard Litterer. I think, if anything, it's going to be more negative. So if you have any comments, opinions, questions, whatever, about this whole topic, we've been at it for over an hour, you can call in right now, phone number 775-FRAUD-55, that's 775-372-8355, make sure to show your caller ID, 775-FRAUD-55, dial star 82, or do something else to show your caller ID, or you will not get through. But that's all we'll do with the topic for right now, unless we get some phone calls about it. Want to mention one more thing before we move on? Totally unrelated to this, but uh, Bubbles has donated an extra five dollars to the free roll. I don't know if it's over yet. I'm not watching, but the fourth place finisher will get five dollars. So whoever that is is going to be five dollars richer. Of course, uh, PM me or email me if you are one of the top four spots on that free roll and you qualify, as I described earlier. We have another feature tonight regarding a fraudulent situation. This is PokerFraudAlert.com. So we have somebody we're going to interview who I've talked about before. It's a Russian guy. He's known as Newborg. That's the G-N-U-B-O-R-G. He was a player on the 888 Poker Network, and he just got outright cheated. 888 definitely cheated this guy from everything I've seen. And I felt really bad for him reading a story. He actually contacted me. I read his story on 2 Plus 2, and he I, he's just getting the shoddiest treatment, and I've I've wanted him on this show for quite some time. So um, I, I'm going to add this guy on Skype. and uh, Now, he's a Russian guy who does not speak good English. He claims he's going to have somebody speak for him or something like that, so bear with me with this interview. I just think it's important that the story gets out, because this has been going on since April, and 888.com still has not returned this guy's money. And, and, I mean, he has just been absolutely ripped off. We've talked about this before on this show, where he was accused wrongly of chip dumping. He posted on 2 Plus 2 every single hand he played against the guy he supposedly dumped against. It was very clear to me and everybody else that he did not dump any chips to this guy. And he can't get any satisfaction either from 888 or this uh, E-Cogra, who supposedly supervises them in situations like this. And, And still, he has no money. Uh, from 888, and it's thousands of dollars we're dealing with here. So um, I'm going to try to reach this guy. In the meantime, if anybody wants to call in to talk about uh, what I just did with the whole uh, Howard Letterer interview, once again, phone number 775-FRAUD55, or if you want to talk about anything else, 775-372-8355. And uh, I'll tell you, that took a long time to do today. I, I felt very worn out. When uh, after making all those clips and thinking about what to say, I mean, I, I didn't just do this off the cuff. This took uh, hours to do. So I'll probably go do it again next week, <laughs> even though it's it's going to be painful. But I, I think these this needs to be done. I, I I hate hearing these lies from Howard Letterer, and I'm sure others will analyze it and say similar things to what I did, or at least write similar things to what I did on Two Plus Two. But on radio, I, I don't really hear this being done. And I, I thought it was important to get done. So I'm going to add this guy on Skype. Uh, in the meantime, since I, I'm by myself here, so it's hard to do everything, you know, to run the, the system and to be the host and all that. Uh, if you have any questions for me, either call in or put them in the chat room, and I'll try to answer them for you while I try to read this guy on, uh, on Skype. And uh, hopefully we'll get him on here. 
And he will have a translator. It'll be the first time ever Poker Fraud Alert has a translator. <laughs> One step is actually offering to be a translator, too. He said, I can understand Russian, and I can translate if you want. I actually may, may, may be useful, provided he... I don't know. I'd have to trust One Step to do a good translation. But um, now Skype is telling me I don't have an active internet connection. Oh, here we go. Like, somehow I'm broadcasting on the internet, but Skype thinks I don't have an active internet connection. In case you don't know, that's what we use to connect to people on this show. So, I added our uh, Russian friend here. We will see if he responds. If he doesn't, we will move on to a different topic. Let me look in the chat room here. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. And no, we're not calling 408-MIKE again this week. Uh, Maybe sometime later, but... uh, um, I'm seeing the chat room that they're going to release the next Howard interviews on Thursday. Hmm. People are suggesting I do an emergency radio on Thursday, but uh, no, too much for me. Ah, the guy's online. Okay, so hopefully we'll be hearing from him soon. I, I see a picture of this guy. It's a beautiful guy. <laughs> it's like a blurry picture. It looks like it was taken with a very old 1960s camera. But uh, I, I guess they're behind in some ways in Russia. But anyway, if this guy gets his money from 888.com, then he can buy a new camera. Okay, so he's here. I mean, he's uh, he's talking to me right now. He says, hello. I say, I would like to call you. I wish I could, like, type in a Russian accent. I would like to call you. Let's see if... Uh, he said, this is my helper. Wait, please. <laughs> this is my helper. <laughs> This is my helper. His name is Hamburger. His name is Hamburger. He is my he is helper. Actually, I shouldn't make fun of this guy. He's a victim. He is the victim of the incompetence and or shadiness of 888. He says, wait please, my English is bad. I hope this interview is, isn't a fail. I, I really want to get this story out and I... Um, um, He's saying group call. I don't know. I feel kind of uncomfortable when a guy asks me to do anything involving a group or a three-way. just feels weird. I know one step's probably used to it. Uh, for those of you wondering, Vowels is off the show for the time being. She has some family issues. And that's the truth. I'm not making that up. I'm not, I didn't have a fight with her. She isn't angry at the site. She isn't sick of radio. She really is having family issues. She told me very specifically what's going on. I'm obviously not going to spill her business on here, but she is off the show tonight and for the foreseeable future. Uh, Maybe this will change, but for right now, that's the way it is. If you would like to be the third host, I'm taking applications. No pay here, but I'm willing to try some people out. A trial basis. Jeez. Someone's reporting the chat room. 775-FRAUD55 is not available for phone call. That's a freaking fail. All right, let me give you an alternative phone number. I don't know why I'd be saying that. Uh, 702-430-1808 is a phone number. 702-430-1808. I think you can get through to that number, too. I don't know what's wrong with my uh, 
Gmail forwarding number, which is what that 775 number is. Gee, it's not available for phone call. What a joke. I don't know. I, I thought starting my own site, I wouldn't have these problems anymore. But it, it's honestly no better. Like, I, I, I'll be honest here. I have done no better with my own site as far as technical difficulties. I thought these would be a pain, the, the thing of the past. I've done pretty well with my site not having technical difficulties, other than the radio. I'm actually calling in my own show right now, just to see if I can get through. Yeah, okay, I can get you through. Okay, I'm going to take a call right here. Caller, you are on the air. Hello. Um, yo, what are the tips on uh, the po- on the site like worth? The, the chips on the No Fraud Online Poker site? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, yeah. And so who's calling? Uh, Silk Road. This is Silk Road. So you want to know how much yeah. each chip is worth on the No Fraud Online Poker Room? Yeah, like is it Bitcoins, like on seals? I'll tell you what it's worth. Zero point zero. That's what each chip is worth. <laughs> uh, okay, so what's the point? Uh, the, the point is just for fun, and I, I may give out some prizes based upon who has the most chips. Um, the, the real reason most people play on there is once a week for our radio tournament, where there are real prizes. But uh, so are you are you against allowing people to, to deposit with bitcoins? Uh, I'm against having myself go to prison. That I'm, uh, that I'm very much against. <laughs> I, I'm very much uh, against offering see. real money gambling on the internet of any kind because. I, I'd like to keep my anus virginal for the rest of my life. That's the uh, best way I can put it. I mean, I, I get what you mean, but like the site would have to get really big for you to actually get in trouble. I yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to take a chance. Believe, there's a lot of people out there who, who would be thrilled if they could report me to the FBI or whoever would uh, investigate me and get me put in jail uh, for this. There would be a lot of people um, salivating to put me in prison for this. Just out of curiosity, do you still have the same stance on bitcoins that you had about a year a year ago? Pretty much. Um, I, I feel that bitcoins are a cute little science project. I, I feel that they benefited the people at the beginning. Like, I mean, I guess I, I'm not that much against it benefiting the people at the very beginning of the whole thing if it benefits them a little bit. But this is just so overwhelmingly benefiting the people who were there early versus the people there now. It's it's almost like a Ponzi scheme, and um, um, it, I mean, like I get that, but at the same time, the guy who like the Satoshi Nakamoto guy, he, I don't think he's cashed out any of his coins. But does anyone? Um, I, I thought nobody even knows who he is. Oh yeah, yeah, no one knows who he is. Well, but, there, there we go. I mean, it's the the thing is here. Look, would, would I be unhappy if I was one of the early adopters of Bitcoin and had like a million dollars in Bitcoin? No, I'd be thrilled. I would also be like getting rid of them right now, but uh, but I would be thrilled to why have them. Of course, why it's like would free you be money. Getting rid of them right now. I mean, they're just it's, it's blowing up. Like they're, uh, I think they're pretty close to their all-time high market cap. Because and, all uh, all that it takes is the government goes after them and it'll plummet to zero. That's why. I if I had a lot of money in Bitcoin right now, I'd get rid of them. If if you have like, oh, I'm sorry, I gotta I gotta take this call. I'll call back a little bit later. It's the it's the Russians calling. Sorry about that, Silk Road. Uh, hello, guys. Uh, ha- welcome to PokerFraudAlert.com. Um, go ahead. Uh, give me your names here. Hello. hello. My name is Vadim, and I'm going to be kind of a translator and representative for Vecislav, I guess. 
Okay. Uh, hello. Hello, hello, Slava. And, you know, I'm I'm glad to have you on my show because I want your story to get out as to what's going on with 888.com. I even interrupted another phone call. So uh, I, I want your story to be heard, and I think we have a lot of listeners tonight because people were already listening from the previous feature about Howard Lederer, and I want people to hear about another fraud, even if, even though it's not as large as Full Tilt, another fraud taking place right now on the European-facing online poker site 888. So, uh, um, Vadim, wh- why don't you tell us, uh, I-, I don't know if you know the story yourself or if Slava needs to tell you in Russian and you, you can tell us, but uh, why don't you tell us what happened here with, with Slava and 888? Okay, Todd. Basically, what happened was uh, Slava started to play on one of the skins of 888 Network in, uh, I believe, in, in the end of last year. And... Um, Eventually, he got a letter from them, I believe, in February, regarding his account being suspected in chip dumping and uh, being under investigation, his account being locked, and, and uh, his uh, funds there pretty much confiscated for the time being. Eventually, uh, after a series of letters back and forth, uh, they said that uh, their investigation concluded that chip dumping actually took place, and his fund, including his deposits and the money won from the uh, suspected alleged chip dumpers, were confiscated uh, by Cassava Enterprises, which is the parent company of uh, 888.com, and uh, there was no explanation given as to which hands were being <coughs> treated as a chip dumping hands. They only mentioned two nicknames of two players, who were playing with Slava on, uh, on a particular occasion. One of them was uh, not even from uh, the location where Slava was, and the other one w- was not from the... Basically, one of them was from the same country, and the other one was uh, from Canada. I see. Uh, uh, I can stop you for a second. So, and then you so were connected to, to Slava himself. So, so um, when did this start? Did this happen in April? Uh, this happened basically... Let's see. Слава, когда это началось все? Заблокировали, Слушайте. And um, Lomlin, yeah, exactly right. mm-hmm. yeah, and then he went back. Well, and one, of the, one of the players was Lomlin, who is uh, his countryman, and the other one was, I believe, name username is Burge Junior, and that guy is from Canada. Okay, and so Lomlin, yeah. he found he played uh, 22 hands against him. Apparently, yes. Mm-hmm. And and he posted all 22 hands to two plus two. Is that correct? I think he posted all the key hands, which were big pots uh, played against both players. Okay, so so did he post all of his hands, or just the ones with with sizable pots that weren't like uh, the blinds folded? Slava, and drop his daughter Pastel Sierra's Dachi, or or only the ones that were big and large in the bank. Well, да, там больше где-то двадцати этих. He posted only the hands which which uh, the pots that, that involved more than twenty twenty big blinds. Okay, um, now now. How many hands did he play total? Because I, I thought he posted all the hands. This, uh, a few people could say that possibly, you know, what if he just chipped dumped through small hands? So how many hands total did he have against his Lomlin that he was accused of, of uh, doing the chip dumping? 
Well, apparently Slav was uh, accused to be a beneficiary of Chen Dumping. Okay, well, what, whatever. How many hands were there involved? About 40 hands against all those Okay, so about 40 hands total. About 22 of them were relevant hands. The other 18 were, were small pots. And, um, and so then they... He, when they approached him about this and said his account's being suspended. Uh, then they decided to close his account after he tried to defend himself. And then I, I know oh, he yeah. made... Is that correct? I'm sorry. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, they, they had a correspondence where he tried to uh, basically get some proof from them of where the chip dumping occurred, and they refused to give him any, any proof whatsoever. So they ne never gave him any hands, any... A suspicious activity and nothing like that. Yeah, that's terrible. And uh, so he complained to eCogra, which is known as the e-commerce and online gaming regulation and assurance group, which I, I think 888 owns or, or controls. But they're supposed to watch over them, which is is kind of stupid because you know why would a uh, a company that has association with 888 be watching them? But putting that aside, he complained to eCogra, and eCogra then said they investigated his complaint about the Lomlin chip dumping, and they said that the dumper, the one that he received chips one, the one he, the, he received chips from, was named Bertuner Bert or something, right? That's right. I think they mixed up basically. Now they, in, 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 in the first instance, Kasava accused him of being chip dumped by Lomlin, and then Ikogra actually said that uh, they have uh, they had their investigation done and nothing has changed the finding and they basically supported the Kasawa finding but uh, they uh, named a different chip dumper in this in this situation. Yeah, I mean that's ridiculous. So if the, so he gets his account closed for chip dumping from Lomlin and then he complains to the body that regulates them and the body that regulates them says, oh yeah, you were receiving chips but but from this guy, not even from Lomlin. So they, they don't even understand the complaint and then they're they're backing up a complaint that's different than the one that's uh, that's at hand here, which is crazy. So, did they ever? Did he ever right, write yeah. back to E. Cogra and say, "Wait a minute, I thought it was Lomlin." What did E. Cogra say about this when he said that's not even the right guy? Well, the exact quote was, "We have completed our investigation and, and no evidence has changed our finding. <laughs> if you wish to pursue this further, you will need to contact the jurisdiction where the site is licensed and lodge a complaint against the operator with the regulating agency." That's, that's all that they said. That's terrible. Basically, they said, "We don't, we don't care. We don't, we don't want to deal with this." And, and I see he posted from uh, from July fifth. This is from uh, from eight 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 from uh, Cassava, which is their um, the, the parent company of eight eight eight. The operations department will not comment on its internal fraud procedures, and whether these are wholly, partially, or not at all automated or manual. We cannot discuss internal processes in the public domain. And, and they also said uh, they will not comment on the discussions on the forums or individual posts. Again, we cannot provide information to you that does that solely pertain to your account. So what's so strange is they won't even tell this guy what he did wrong. They won't even say... Okay, here's the hands where you received chips that were being dumped to you. Here they are. They they won't even show him the hands that he received. They never give that information, even yeah. though he has the absolute right to have this information. Yeah, it pertains only to him him personally. Yeah, I mean it's it's absolutely crazy. So, what was the last conversation he had with them? What date was the last date that he talked to them about this situation? Uh, well, uh, let's see. 
когда вот, ты последний раз связывался с Савой насчет всего этого? Слава. Ну, так, так, так. Я уж не помню, месяц где-то прошел, наверное. Но я там насчет уже защиты данных разговаривал. То есть, это чтобы они мне предоставили причину. Там несколько писем писал, все время стандартные отписки у них были. Basically, the last time he talked to them uh, a month ago regarding the data protection law, which kind of gives him the right to receive information regarding his, his own activity on the account, and they never gave him any like, substantive response. They just said had standard responses, which usually comes from customer service department. Yeah. Uh, we gave you all the information that uh, you need, and uh, since, we, since we basically do not have any more accusations against you, We don't understand why why would you would need this information. <laughs> And uh, but they never returned the money to him. That was one. They only returned uh, under the pressure. Basically, what happened was after all this uh, correspondence and uh, especially after the topic on two plus two, uh, under the public pressure, Kasava returned uh, only the deposits that Slava made to the site, and they never returned any money he won. Yeah. On that site, and they never and, and they still refused to. Uh, give him any proof of what he did wrong. They never opened his account. They never gave him any, uh, never apologized to him or said they were ever wrong under any circumstances. So basically, they just decided to go halfway, which is completely logical. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say. Either he cheated or he didn't cheat. If he cheated, he should have all his money confiscated. If he didn't cheat, then he should get all his money back. It can't be in the middle where you give him his deposits back, but don't give him his winnings. That, that's almost like they're admitting guilt but want to keep some of his money anyway. And um, I, I think that they made a mistake here, and at this point of the game, they're afraid to admit it because it'll make them look really bad that they put poor Slava through a seven-month ordeal here uh, and, and closed his account and were trying to confiscate his money and, and then end up giving it back. While people will be happy that it's solved, it'll make them look really bad if seven months later they admit they screwed up. And that, that's what I'm afraid of here, is that they just... That's exactly right. They just... They just uh They never admitted their fault. They never said they did anything wrong. At the same time, they they absolved him of any fault of his own. And another thing is, they I think they're trying to cover this kind of activity under the law, the rule that in their policy that says that they have the right to confiscate the money won from the fraudulent account or the account that was used uh, with the, uh, that was involved in some fraudulent activity, which is also a very bad rule considering that. Uh, if you play on the site which has this rule in place, you never know at what point you might get uh, problems. You never know what, at what point you might get again, uh, win money from a fraudulent account, and you can take, you can be confiscated funds at, at any point for any reason without any explanation. That, that's absolutely right, and that they, the the burden should always be on them to make sure that funds on their account that are available for play were there legitimately, and unless they can tell that you are in cahoots with the other person. To to you know have a conspiracy to have them dump illegal funds to you. If you happen to win illegal funds from someone that you had no idea had illegal funds, then you should be able to keep them because it's their responsibility for their own site to make sure that their funds there are are good. And as you said, um, you you shouldn't have to take a risk as a player that every one of your opponents who you have no information about uh, got the funds on their in a legitimate fashion, because you don't know. You have no way to find out. You have no way to investigate it. So uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. It, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And the, you know, the poker community should never stand for this. The poker community should pressure, pressure, pressure. And I, I encourage anybody to click on the links that are in this thread, on the Scam Scandals and Shady News thread, 
to click on the links to these 2 plus 2 thread and pressure 888 and even pressure them in other 888 threads to do something about this, to actually give back not just the deposits that they already gave back, but give him back all the money he won and reopen his account because the guy, he looks innocent. And if he's not innocent, have them send him proof that he's not innocent. They don't have to post it on 2 plus 2, but at least send the one who's accused of, of receiving dumped chips Send in proof of the chip dumping. Don't say, we don't have to send it to you. We don't have to by the Data Protection Act. Uh, We've done all we have to. No, you haven't. You have to provide the guy you're taking the chips from, that you're confiscating the chips from, evidence that you're taking them not because you feel like stealing from him, but because he really did something wrong. And I, I have to say, my gut feeling is that there's very, very, very little chance that you guys are not telling me the truth. I'm I'm just about sure you guys are totally innocent here, or not really you guys, but him. I I know you're speaking for him. And and that uh, 888 is in the wrong here and is very afraid to admit they were wrong because so much time has passed. And I think they think it's going to be safer for them to just stick that he was a cheater rather than to admit that they falsely accused an innocent guy of cheating. And I think that's awful. I think people should put pressure on 888. I think uh, anybody who plays there I know we have a lot of U.S. listeners and they can't play there, but anybody who does play on 888 or, or is eligible to play there should email support and say that they are very unhappy about this story and they're very scared it'll happen to them. Because I think if 888 gets enough complaints about this, uh, they may back down further, but but not until then. It, it, they really the, the heat needs to be on 888, and you could say, ah, who cares about some Russian guy well, on a site I can't play on. You should care, because you know, this is the problem with online poker. When sites appoint themselves judge, jury, and executioner, and they make wrong decisions, and they screw over innocent people, like, like Slava here, who, who won money legitimately, and, and they're trying to take it away from him now and trying to cover their ass from a terrible decision. Um, so, so what is Slava going to do next? What, what is his plan next? To just, just keep, uh, keep at it on 2 plus 2 and keep the pressure on? Слава, что ты планируешь делать дальше по поводу этого? Ты собираешься продолжать эту ветку на плюс 2 и продолжать давить на Касаву или какие твои планы в принципе? Ну, я думаю, уже бесполезно с Касавой общаться. Я думаю, просто как бы это общественность максимально передать эту проблему, чтобы ну, больше как бы для других уже, а не для себя. Well, he basically says that he give up to get anything from Kasama for his benefit, but uh, he does plan to continue with the 2 plus 2 thread and attracting uh, attention of, of the players and all of the community to, to put pressure on the company and to protect other players who play there and uh, play on other sides who might involve in this kind of behavior. Yeah, that's very good. He should definitely keep at it and uh, you know maybe even make a website about it. Just do as much as he can to slam... 888 and, and let everybody know the story and, and whenever people uh, whenever people search this out uh, whenever they type 888.com Listen, I want to, if you don't mind I want to add for myself that I learned about this uh, situation not on a 2 plus 2 forum but on a uh, big Russian poker forum and uh, some users of the forum actually went further than just uh, emailing Kasava uh, support and trying to put pressure on them they just withdrew funds from them and, and stopped playing on that site yeah. As a matter of protesting, as a matter of protecting their own their own funds. Yeah, that's good. That's good. People should do this. People should stand up for each other as players, and uh, you know, not to say it hasn't happened to me. I, I don't care. And uh, you know, I'm glad to have this as a feature on the show, and I'm glad to feature this story on my site. And uh, you know, I, I want to uh, keep these stories in the forefront. And you know what? This is a is actually kind of a partner of Caesar's Entertainment, who puts on the World Series. 
So uh, I, I really hope that they start acting better and they get their act together and, and stop this uh, because th- this just makes them look really bad. And this is a big company that's been around forever. So I... I that show was the first online casino, as far as I remember. Yeah, yeah. So that's... Uh, well, th- thank you guys for coming on. That's uh, How much money did he lose out of this whole thing? Слава, сколько ты потерял примерно? Ты три тысячи получил обратно, а сколько они тебя конфисковали в итоге? Well, all right. Uh, good luck in getting the money back. I really hope this has a happy ending. And uh, I have one request for you, uh, Vadim. Can you say, pay the man his money? Pay the man his money. There we go. Okay. All right. Thank you for coming on, guys. And, uh, and you know, uh, tell Slava he can come on any time to give updates on, on what's happening, and I'm always going to be interested in this story. Thank you, Todd. Okay. Thank you, uh, thanks, guys, for coming thank on. You. So that was uh, Slava and Vadim. Vadim was the one speaking for Slava. Uh, Vadim is bilingual. Slava isn't. He only speaks Russian. So and he, uh, Slava has been posting. He can write English, but he can't really speak it. Which is, it, it's true. It's a lot easier to write a foreign language than to speak it. Which I always found funny because if you think about little kids, like really little kids, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, they can speak, but they can't write. But uh, once once you're an adult, it's a hell of a lot harder to speak than it is to write because for writing you can sit and think about uh, what you're going to write. You can use translation programs and stuff like that. And uh, for speaking, it's all in real time. So I'm, I'm glad we have on that story. And anybody listening, please put pressure on 888, to, especially if you're eligible to play there. So I actually like this uh, that segment. I think that I thought that went well. I thought that uh, Vadim spoke very well and uh, gave us the lowdown of what was happening. And uh, I, I kind of like the whole thing where we're we're translating the uh, <laughs> we're doing translations here for people in other countries who have gotten cheated by poker sites. So I'll tell you, I didn't uh, prepare that much more for this show because I. I, I spent a lot of time today on the whole Howard Letterer thing, which kind of threw me for a loop. I, what I expected to do was last night to research various things to talk about for this show, and then the Howard Letterer thing came down, and that really took up uh, all my preparation time. And I only have uh, limited time to prepare for this, especially since uh, last two weeks it's just been me on the program. And it looks like Brandon probably won't show up tonight. He's been uh, he hasn't responded to me. Uh, when I asked him if he's uh, available right now. So it, it'll probably just be me for the rest of the night. If you have any questions, any uh, if you want me to make any calls, any, anything you want to suggest, uh, I'm open. Let me look at the agenda if we have anything else for tonight. Otherwise, uh, I, I think we'll try to call that girl who uh, ripped off Ken Scaler. We never seem to get her at this time, and I, I should always try her early, but somehow I don't. But uh, let me see here. Let me give her one call. See if I can reach her. Yeah, we've we've pretty much covered everything, and there's no Ask Vowels segment because there's no more vowels on the show, which is really too bad. I really liked having her on the show. I think she has a great voice for radio. I think she adds something that uh, neither I nor Brandon can bring, you know, the female perspective. I, I like having a female co-host here, and it's, it's too bad we don't have her anymore, but uh, maybe in the future that will change. But in the meantime, if you'd like to call, uh, if, if Silk Road wants to call back about Bitcoins, he's welcome to. I, I felt bad about hanging up on him, but, you know, I, it was so hard to get the Russians on the phone here. We, we've 
been trying for weeks to do this segment, so I didn't want to not answer that and tell him to call back later. So, uh, Silk Road wants to call back in, or anybody else wants to call, 775-FRAUD-55, or if that doesn't work, 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. In the meantime, I'm going to try to call up Nene, the, the large and lovely girl who either cheated Ken Scaler or sat quietly as people she knew from high school did when she went on a date with him. See if we can reach Nene. Can't ever seem to get her. Now she might screen her calls because this this shows up as like an unknown number whenever I call. I think there's a way to change that, but can't do it during this show. Looks like we're gonna fail again. One of these days. One of these days, I'm going to get Nene on the phone, I tell you. Hello? Oh, hello. Can I speak to Nene, please? Can I speak to who? Nene? You have the wrong number. Who have I reached? Okay. Hello? That's weird. Did she give a fake name to Ken? That's really weird. Let me make sure I dial the right number. I think I dialed the right number. That's really strange. I did not expect that. I mean, she she kind of she kind of sounded like what I expected her to sound like. I'll say that. I'm gonna call her back. You know, this, this is I'm not giving up on this one. What the hell? I actually meant to call her as Colonel Fabrician. I just kind of forgot. Hello. Uh, yes, uh, hello, this is Alvin Finkelstein. I'm sorry for asking for... Yes, my number I'm trying to reach uh, 323-552-4336, but I'm, I may have had the wrong name, but I, I, I have reached the right person, I'm pretty sure. Hello? Yeah, hello, can you hear me? Corey? Um, I, I have a question. Can you hear me okay? Hello? Can you hear me? Damn it. You know, I think this has the potential to be a good segment, but it sounds like she's in an area with poor cell phone reception. I guess Nene was a fake name she gave Ken. So now she doesn't answer to it. She probably forgot about the whole thing. (laughs) I bet it's the right girl. I mean, I I bet I've reached the right person. There's a small chance Ken gave me the wrong number, but this is Ken Scaler. He doesn't forget phone numbers. He's really good with phone numbers. I, I don't know if he's ever given me a wrong number. I'm, I'm going to call her back. You know, I, I, I think I'm right here. I, I don't want to harass an innocent girl, but I think this is the right person, and I think she was involved in scamming Ken out of over $400. And I, I, I don't want to be polite to a person like that. If I'm harassing a poor girl who Ken gave me the wrong phone number, I, I apologize to her in advance. Yeah, so this is Alan Finkelstein. We we got cut off before. I, hello? And who are you trying to reach? Um, I, I'm trying to reach a girl. I, I'm calling on behalf of an individual named Ken. Did you go with an individual named Ken that you met at a club to a restaurant? 
Yes. Okay, so you've reached the right person. My name's Alvin Finkelstein. I'm actually his attorney, and I've been trying to reach you for quite some time. Um, uh, unfortunately, a, a, as you probably know, a crime was committed against uh, against Ken there, and uh, he was the victim of, of a, uh, a matter of fraud. And um, what I'm looking to do, I'm, I'm not uh, accusing you of anything, but I'm looking to locate the individuals who were involved in... Um, in defrauding Ken, because basically what happened was, uh, as I'm sure you know, uh, two individuals showed up. One of them said they knew you from high school. Uh, they sat at your table with you and Ken. They, they consumed a very large number of expensive alcoholic beverages, running up a bill of more than $300, and then uh, uh -huh. pre pretended to go to the bathroom and left. And Ken was mm -hmm. stuck paying the bill, and in fact he didn't have the money. So he was forced to leave his wallet there and make payments to them to even get his ID back. As, as you can imagine, it was a, a traumatic experience, and I'm actually I've taken the case for free um, through through the uh, the Benet Brith um, Law Association of West Los Angeles. So um, what I, what I'm looking here to find out from you is since one of the individuals at least was known to you, um, I, I would like you to provide the identity of those individuals to me so I can pursue this um, with, with both a criminal and civil complaint against them. Okay. So so can you tell me who was responsible for, for who, were, who were these two men who showed up and, uh, you know, ordered drinks and left? I know one of them from, uh, you know, it wasn't even high school, it was from elementary. Mm -hmm. And the second one is, I guess, like his mate or whatever because he's um, uh, I guess you would say gay, homosexual or something yes, of yes. that nature. Yes. And that's um, I don't know both of them. Alright, that's fine. Well, if you could tell me the identity of, of the first one that you do know and uh, anything else you know about him, then we can uh, we can try to um, pursue that individual and we will leave you out of this matter from this point forward. Okay. All right. So, can you give me the uh, the information? What what is this individual's name? I just know him by Tavi. What What was his name? Tavi. Now, now, how would you not know his full name if you knew him from elementary school? We didn't go to the same school. I went to Carthay. He's older than me, and we didn't go to the same school. I met him back in those days in the what is that? The nineties. We did a lot of. Uh, party lines and things like that then through 800 numbers and three-way calling and we all would just link up like that i would call you turn around from calling you then call somebody else like that all right but um you're, you're telling me through all this through all the times talking to him on the phone you you never knew his last name no do you have a phone number to get a hold of him I just have the old telephone number. If I look to my phone now, um, we just uh, we just lost connection. But but don't worry, uh, we're gonna call back. I, I have to. Uh, someone saying in the chat, "Bitch is full of shit." I I have to say that I have to agree. I have a feeling that she is covering for Tavi here. And yeah, the, uh, Bootsy Collins is asking a good question in the chat. She did party lines when she was in elementary school. I mean, I, I know that some kids start early, but like, like, were they sitting on party lines in, in the '90s in elementary school <laughs> and, and and talking to grown men? It's just so strange. Like, like, can you picture like eight-year-old on the party line? I just can't. I don't know. Maybe in six years, Benjamin will be calling party lines. 
All right, I, I'm, I'm going to call her back, and uh, I don't know how Kent gets himself into these situations. Skype is such a piece of crap. It just said undetermined attribute. What does that even mean? I have a master's in computer science. I have no idea what that means. Yeah, Crow Diddley said I probably talked to her myself back in the day. I probably did. <laughs> Hello? Yeah, so somehow we, we lost connection. Um, so, you, so you said you have a, a, an older phone number you could uh, provide to us for of this individual? I was trying to locate the number as the phone hung up. The only way for me to get it is going through my phone and mm -hmm. pulling it up. But you called back, so it stopped going through the contact. Okay, so... so um, here, here's what I'll do here. I'm going to give you a few minutes to look up the phone, and then I'll call back. Uh, uh, can you can you spell the name? This Tavi is a T A V I. Yes. Okay, and I, I do have one other question that's kind of bothering me here. Um, you said you knew him through like you called party lines together in the '90s. Uh, how exactly were you calling party lines when you were in elementary school? I haven't really known of children of that age to call party lines. Um, that question, I really don't understand because um, that just, to me, doesn't really sound like a, 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 a sense that's a question that's logical. The same way children do a lot of things that they do that they aren't supposed to do. Well, the reason I'm asking this is uh, I, I have to ascertain here whether um, you're actually fully cooperating and giving all the information you know, or if maybe you were part of this whole thing to have uh, set this up. Now, I'd like to believe that you were completely innocent here, but uh, if there's some parts of the story that don't make sense, then I have to start becoming concerned that maybe this was some sort of conspiracy to defraud uh, Mr. Ken here. No, there's no conspiracy. I don't understand how that could possibly be thought that. Well, it's very easy because he he he, he took you out on a date. Uh, two two guys showed up, one of whom claimed they knew you, uh, sat at the table, ordered a lot of stuff, and and bailed. And you didn't pay any of the bill. Uh, Ken was forced to pay for the whole thing, and this this could easily be a, a, some sort of scam. And um, th that was my first thought, in fact. And I said, I want to speak to the girl and, and ascertain for myself whether when I make the the uh, criminal complaint, whether I, I include this girl or if I include only the 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 gentleman who who caused the, these problems. No, I understand what you're saying, but I don't understand how you asked me something about being in elementary school and how I was able to do whatever it was I did. Um, shit, that's been over 10, 15 years now. Well, that's actually that's my next question. How did this individual recognize you so quickly if you haven't seen him in so long? I know if someone hadn't seen me in 15 I'm years... I would... I look exactly the same. Well, we all like to think that, but uh, the, the truth no, is, if someone that, I don't know that is the, is true. I can show you pictures from elementary. I look exactly the same. So you you look like you're eight years old. That, that's hard to believe. I still have I still have a round face, and when you graduate from elementary, by that time you're thirteen, I still look the same. Well, all right. Um, you said this was the 90s. Of the 90s is uh, is more than 10 years ago. That tends to be like more like 15 to 20, depending on what part of the 90s. But um, here, let's let's um, 
let's let's put this aside for the moment. Uh, why don't you go through your phone and look up uh, Tavi's phone number and uh, the old one, and we'll try to track it down from there. I have a lot of tools that can be used to track him down. I, I just I just want to let you know that it's it's best that you're honest with me because I do actually uh, I'm very resourceful. I'm very good at seeing these cases through, and and there's actually an individual I have working for me uh, named Martin Curacao, and he's actually uh, extremely talented with with finding phone numbers. The current phone numbers from old phone numbers, and and when Martin okay. goes to work for me, then um, then what's going to happen is we're going to contact this individual, and and I hope that you've told me the truth because we'll see his story, and if he says you were in on it, then uh, unfortunately uh, there will have to be a criminal complaint against you. Whereas if you give us full cooperation now, then we'll uh, we'll try to leave you out of it. I was trying to give you the telephone number, like I already stated, when the phone hung up prior. And then you called back. I don't, I'm not good with technology. I don't like computers. So I can't do all this newfangled crap that a lot of people do. Yeah, no, I, I understand so that. We, we, I, I just represented a, uh, I just represented a gentleman named Slim T, and he was very poor with technology. And in fact, he lost a court case because he didn't know how to take text messages. <laughs> listen, off his listen, phone. listen, listen. I was trying to hang up. You call back in a couple of minutes, and I give you the number. I don't appreciate the way you're talking to me. I'm, I'm just trying to get to the bottom right. of this you case. You can here. hang up, and you can call me back in about three minutes so I can go through my phone, write it down, and have it ready when you call back. Well, um, all right. I, I will call back in a few minutes. I, I will. Uh, I hope you do answer the phone and give me the phone number so we can uh, continue it from this I've point. I've been answering the phone every time you call, even though you've been call. You know what? Like I said, do that and call back in a couple of okay, minutes. But all you, right? you understand I'm working for free here. This isn't something I'm doing for my health. So. I'm not going to keep going back and forth with you. I've already told you the only way for me to get the number is to hang up and call back, and I will give it to you. All right. We'll, we'll call back in a few minutes. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> hmm. Why did Ken want to take her on a date again? Wow. I mean, I, I know Ken doesn't always have the highest standards, but uh, I, I have to admit I'm disappointed here. I'm very, very disappointed. Man. The funny thing is she's angry at me. Like, what did I do wrong? Like I'm, I'm trying to help the guy who got ripped off. I'm trying to help the guy who got cheated by, by these scumbags who went and sat down there and ordered a ton of drinks and ran off. <laughs> and she's giving me the attitude. Man. By the way, someone suggested in the chat room that Ken likes fat chicks. That's actually not true. Uh, Ken does not like fat chicks, but he sometimes settles for them when he can't get anyone else. But he does not prefer fat chicks, even though he's been with a lot of them. But uh, he met her at a fat girl club. She went to a club that's only for fat chicks. And when I say fat chicks, I don't mean like 200 pounds. I mean like 300 pounds or more. So this this is one big girl. This is one big mama. She's fat and she's sassy. And she's not going to take any crap from Mr. Finkelstein. I have to say from hearing this whole thing, I, I'm... I can't say I'm 100% sure she's guilty, but I think there's some chance she's guilty. I, I can't call Ken, by the way. Someone's suggesting I call Ken. I can't call Ken because Ken does not have a phone. Ken has to call me. He knows I'm trying to reach this girl every week. 
Interesting how she gave a fake name of Nene. I'm going to have to confront her about that, too. After I get this phone number and have uh, Martin Curacao do his magic. <laughs> I actually do have that ability somewhat myself, but but not as much as I built it up to be. Like, I, I, I can't just take any old phone number and find out the new phone number, but I, I, I can do more than the average person in that realm. So I'm, I'm actually going to try. I'm going to try to find out this Tavi. Because I, I, I didn't like that story. It bothered me. I, I hate when people take advantage of Ken. I hate when people rip Ken off. It, it just pisses me off. You know, he's my friend. He's a, he's a weird guy, yes. He gets himself into a lot of trouble. A lot of the trouble he gets into is somewhat his fault. But I still hate when people take advantage of him and steal from him. And, like, these people who did this were, like, just straight-up criminals to do that. Some people are asking in the chat, why don't I get Ken a cell phone? Why don't I pay for it? Why don't I take collection up for it? He doesn't want one. If he did want one, I would actually pay for one. I wouldn't get him an iPhone, but, uh, you know, I'd get him some cheap-ass cell phone on some kind of flat-rate plan and uh, be able to reach him. And I'd pay the bill every month. The problem is, he doesn't want to be reached all the time. He likes the ability to just go off where he wants to go and not come back to where anyone can reach him until he feels like it. That's why. I've talked to him about this before. So, uh, yeah. I'm going to give Nene a few more minutes. Otherwise, I'm going to call her. She's going to get pissed off that I, I stopped her from finding Tavi's phone number again. You know, she's not all good at this uh, newfangled technology. Wouldn't it be funny if we got uh, Nene here to be one of the Ice Girls? I should suggest that. Well, at least we got a few uh, good segments in tonight. The whole Howard Letterer thing, the uh, the Russians, Nene. Not a very long show, but uh, pretty good. I think every segment we've had so far is delivered, even though it's just me. But I do want co-hosts, you know. I I, I can't do this by myself every week. It's just it's just not the same. By the way, I want to give a shout out to Kevmath who enjoyed my you-can't-do-that-on-television reference on the Howard Letterer segment. I actually used to watch that all the time back in the uh, early to mid-80s. Alright, I'm going I'm to call her back. I, I have a feeling I'm going to get tongue-lashing, but I'm going to call her back. I think there's some chance she just doesn't answer. Hello. Hello. You have a pen and paper? Yes, I do. A one A. Yes. Nine three four. Mhm. Twelve eighty three. And you're sure that's an old phone number? Yes. Okay. And when was it disconnected? Do you know that? No. I don't know why you're acting annoyed with me. I'm trying to I'm trying to investigate a crime here. I mean, I'm already annoyed with the situation from earlier, but I kept telling you I had to get off the phone to get the number, and you want to keep spouting on. It's after 9 o'clock at night. I need to go to sleep to get up in the morning. Yeah, but you're not the one whose ID got stuck at a restaurant. You know, you, you got out of this pretty clean, you know. You have the number, correct? All right, now, you said your name's not Nene, but that was the name Ken had. Did you give him a fake name? Oh, my God. No. He said your name was Nene. 
Listen. What's your actual name? I'm not telling you that. So so you gave Ken a fake name, but I'm supposed to believe you. No, I cannot give him a fake name. There are people who use shortened names, so, nicknames. So what is your name? Shanene? Is your name Shanene? He asked me my name, and I told him my name. Well, he told me it's Nene. That's all he knows. That is not, Ken is not telling you the truth. Well, I, I don't know what to say. I don't think he'd be lying to me. I, I think that Ken wants me to get all the information on this situation. I think he wants Ken me to... Ken is not telling you the truth. When I met him, I gave him a nickname. As we talked over the phone over numerous days, he said, well, what is your real name? And I told it to him. Now, I have nothing to do with him not remembering it. Well, you can tell me now. I don't want to. What if I What if I go to the club and meet you there? Will you tell me your name if I meet you at the club? No, I'm not. No, I do not go around giving my name out to strangers. As you just said, a victim of uh, whatever it was you said when you originally called, and we all know they got uh, all kinds of things, identity theft and everything else going on. No. Well, I'll give you my name. My name is Alvin Finkelstein. Well, I mean, uh, why, why a first name can't really be used against you. I'm not asking you for your full name, just just your uh, first name. First off, you said you have people that are good with... Yeah, I do. But I was just hoping you'd tell me. Uh-oh. I think we lost the connection. I don't think it's my fault this time. I think you're... Uh, I think Boost Mobile is not all they cracked it up to be. Let's call back. I think she's going to go off now. Hello. Yeah, your your phone cut off. Yeah, and it's going to do that because of the towers and where I live. Okay. Are you going to call me all night? No. Okay, so what you want now? Uh, your real first name would be nice. I'm not giving it to you. You have my number. Figure it out. Well, I, I hate to task Martin Curacao with too much. Well, he's going to end up drinking a bottle of beam, and he's not going to want to do too much, you know? Excuse me? Martin Curacao, who helps me out, he drinks a bottle of Jim Beam, and he only wants to do one job. You want some Jim Beam? What? No, my, my assistant, Martin Curacao, he drinks a lot. He likes to drink Jim Beam. And when he drinks Jim Beam, he doesn't want to do two jobs. So I have him looking up Tavi's phone number right now, his new number, but he's not going to want to look up your name, too. He's going to get mad at me. He's going to tell me that, uh, that I'm an energy vampire. Listen, I, I don't even appreciate the fact that Ken couldn't even contact me and let me know all of this, I might be a little bit more receptive if he would have did that. Well, what do you mean more receptive? Are you telling me you didn't give me everything? I'm talking. You're asking me for my name. Oh, you know what? Maybe you don't understand. It's uh, something common. A lot of people say black women have attitudes, and I'm a black woman. Mm -hmm. Right now, you're making me have an attitude. Well, that's for sure. So I'm no, no. But but you're saying you you cooperate more. How much more can you cooperate? That's, I want I want the full. I, I want everything. I want the full Monty of information here. There's no full. You're asked. You just not. Did you or did you not just ask me for my name? Yes. 
my government name. Uh, yeah, whatever's on uh, okay. on the check. And, and like I just said, if Ken would have contacted me and gave me a heads up on this situation and that I would be being contacted by somebody, I might be a little bit more receptive. Okay, well, look... I Giving you the telephone number, I'm giving you the name. I'll tell you the problem. Ken, Ken is a little bit shy about this situation. He's a little bit afraid to approach you, so that's, that's <laughs> why he went to my office. He, he came to me at the B'nai B'rith uh, Law Assistance for Poor People in, in West Los Angeles. It's, we actually only assist Jewish people, but we don't tell them that. Anyway, he came to the B'nai B'rith uh, Legal Assistance for Poor People Center in West Los Angeles, and uh, he told me That's the story. That's so funny, because then somebody might say that I was lied to, because he told me he lived in Sherman Oaks for Van Nuys. No, no, he does. He lives in Sherman so, Oaks, but, but West Los Angeles, is that's our closest office to him. God, I don't want to have this conversation at no 9 o'clock at night. Well, I can call you at 10 if you'd like. 10 o'clock at what? At night. You said you don't want it at 9 o'clock. I can call you at 10 or 11 if it's better. And you can leave all that on the voice message because right now this is bartering harassment. Okay. okay um, one more question here. Uh, are you going to vote for Obama or Romney? Yes, you know damn well ain't nobody supposed to be telling nobody who they voting for. It's just, it's well, yes, you, people do that all the time on opinion polls. I don't care what other people Here, I'll, do. I'll, I will pretend to be. I'll, I'll pretend to be from CNN. Or other than a motherfucking black person. Here, here we go. Hello, Ken and Nigel Fabersham here. I'm calling from CNN.com. Uh, I'd like to find out um, who are you going to be voting for um, in November. Would it be um, Mitt Romney, um, Barack I'm, Obama, I'm, or other? I'm hanging up now. Okay. Um, would you like me to change accents for you? I'm hanging up now. Are, are you eligible to vote, or are you a convicted felon? I'm hanging up now. I I just want to know who you're voting for. I'm not getting into no voting, nothing. Well, how, how about getting into uh, what really happened with Ken that night? Did you set him up? No. Are you sure? I'm positive. Are, are you sure this was not a conspiracy to drink on his dime? Um, No. All right, I'm a little bit nervous here. I'm, I'm a little bit nervous that I, I'm, I'm chasing down only one of the criminals, but not all the criminals. You're hilarious. No, I, I just want to. I want to get to the bottom of this. I'm, I'm working this for free. You know, I, I have my real job during the day. I do it during night. I, I do my pro bono jobs. And oh my uh, god, that man is still talking. Don't you have to go to sleep to go work your real job in the day? Well, it's, it's not that late yet. I'm, I'm going to go sleep. No, about it, it is. To get eight hours of sleep, which is recommended for everybody, eight to ten hours of sleep, yeah, it is. No, but I don't need to get up that early. Eight, eight hours from now is like five in the morning. I don't need to get up that early. I, I need to get up like 7 a.m. I, I okay, well, guess what I do. Really? What do you do for a living? That ain't, oh, my God. Ken should told you because Ken knows. I didn't ask. Do you work at the DMV by any chance? Why don't you ask him? I think you work at the DMV. Is that true? Ask about my whole situation, and he'll tell you my answer. Do you work at the DMV? Yes or no? Oh, my God. No. Okay. I, I just, I, I've encountered people with uh, with an attitude at the DMV. I thought, you know, it, it seemed kind of familiar. This is a frivolous conversation. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you.
All right, she finally hung up. You know, I, I missed a good Crow Diddley line at the end. She hung up just before I could get to say it. Justice never sleeps. <laughs> I think we may have to call this one back in the future. Not tonight, but in the future. Th- this is someone I can call back uh, without much guilt. I, I have to think that uh, she does have some guilt in this situation. I also have to find out from Ken what she does for a living and what her real name is. I can try to call the other number, but it probably is old. Either it's fake or old. I doubt she would have given me a current phone number and claimed it was old. She would have even either given a fake number or a number that uh, is really old. It's possible like she had a new and old number for him and gave me the old one. People do weird shit like that. But let's call it anyway. Uh, Simpdog saying it's a Google Voice number. That's that's bad. That that makes it sound like the whole thing's fake. I can't even reach it. Uh, if it's Google Voice, we're we're out of luck. In fact, that'll be the call next week. We'll be uh, confronting her about it being a Google Voice number, if that's the truth. I'm not giving up on this one. I'm going to get Ken back his... Uh, the Google subscriber you have oh, called yeah. is not available. Please leave a message after the tone. Yeah, it's a Google Voice number. That's that's some old phone number. Hmm. So next week I will call her and ask her how old the number is. And hopefully she'll say old enough to where Google Voice didn't exist yet. Wow. Well, um... I'm still going to see what I can find with that phone number. Put Martin Kiris out of work. If anyone wants any other questions, comments, whatever, feel free to call in. I think the show has uh, gone better than expected, to be honest. You know, someone tweeted at me. We have an older woman who listens to this show. and She tweeted at me. And she enjoyed this call. I know if the older female crowd is enjoying my prank calls, I know I'm doing something right. All right, people. I don't have that much more information. I don't have that much more to tell you. I haven't done any more research than what I've told you this week. So I'm done. But if you'd like to ask me anything, if you would like to... Make any comments? Oh, uh, Bubbles sent me a link to something on 2 Plus 2. Might as well comment on this. This is a post from 9-15-12, which is three days ago, from Micah J. He's had an account since uh, March 2010. See, one step's calling, but let me finish about this. This is what Micah J is writing. I'm too tilted to write out all the details right now and will eventually but wanted to get the word out. My account is showing 54k worth of transfers to Mike in New York 21 at yahoo.com. I obviously didn't make these withdrawals. I'm missing over 115,000 in my account, so I assume the rest was dumped. This is on Lock Poker. Now, first of all, you're pretty dumb to leave 115k in your account on Lock Poker. I I hope they just weren't able to cash you out fast, not you just weren't cashing out. But anyway, putting that aside, 2 plus 2 user HighGrind22 contacted me recently looking to buy some of my lock funds. 
He had me sit at a table with the funds so he could see I had them. He then sent me a pic of his bank account, but said he couldn't figure out how to wire at the moment, but would be in contact. I knew I shouldn't have opened it, but I didn't think so. Think until after the matter. I contacted others on suspected scamming, but couldn't get anything done until it was too late. And, uh, and here's the clips. This, this thread is uh, now really, really, really long. And uh, 120K turned out it was stolen from his account, as of uh, this is reported now on the 17th, yesterday. Um, and, uh, and then it says, it turns out Micah is fabled. What does he mean, Micah is fabled? I'm reading like a cliff note of the, of the uh, thread. And much speculated on Gimme Dad account, which is only up on PTR due to playing the highest stakes they spread regularly in a glitch in PTR tracking that overstates the winnings with accounts with underscores in the name. I didn't even know that. So supposedly poker track or not poker tracker, poker table ratings overstates people's winnings if they have underscores in the name. That's kind of hard to believe, but maybe. Um, so I, I, I don't know. This is too complicated. I can't figure this out right now. Well, on the air. But uh, I guess I, I guess there really was some kind of hacking. And I guess he got the cell phone number of the hacker. And uh, there's Skype logs with the hacker where he repeatedly asked for chip dumps. And uh, Locke is aware of the situation, but uh, they haven't done anything about it. But I can't comment that much until I find out more. Weird. I'd love to have that cell phone number. I like making calls like that. Oh, well. Thank you for leading me to that thread. I'll have to do some reading. One step. Hello. Uh, hello. Uh, I'm too bad I wasn't on the phone to help you interrogate the Sharna. You know, I think um, if you were on the phone for that call, it probably wouldn't have lasted that long. It was probably better you weren't. Well, towards the end, you know, I could have, I could have provided the, the questions that would, you know, Garner some more serious answers, um, but uh, but yeah, are you familiar with the poker player Ricky Farnbach? No. Okay, uh, you you should uh, you should try to get get him on uh, on radio. Um, yeah, so uh, he's a more he's a more easily attainable figure uh, besides Tom Dwan, so uh, or Tony Dunn. So, so let me uh, guess. The, get him the, on. Is, is this individual someone you would consider a twink? Uh, very much so. Yes, you're correct. Okay. Um, and and uh, he's a little bit more easier to get in contact. Uh, you know. So he's like a, a lower level exactly. twink. He's like a, a twink accessible to the public. Uh, I guess yes. Yeah. I guess we could say that. Um, but yeah, use use your your your. You know, prestige. You know, mention that you have a bracelet and, and whatnot, uh, and try to get him on, on the show uh, next week. Uh, I also have an idea for uh, a segment. I don't know if you want you want to hear about that. Hey, go ahead. Okay, uh, we. It's a very similar to your to your uh, your game, but uh, I would post a link in the chat uh, to a picture of an individual, and then uh, someone has to guess if they're a poker player or a gay porn star. So, you know. Uh, but who would be guessing so, this? Uh, the, the caller, whoever, you know, whoever uh, wants to call in and play the contest. Uh, 
So I would post a pic, you know, in the chat, and then, you know, they would have to decide whether or not that uh, they're a creepy porn star or a public player. So but would you have, like, like on that as well. Huh? Would you have, like, uh, naked pictures of the guy? I'm not, I'm not understanding the contest. Well, they would be they would be uh, dressed, you know, uh, regularly, obviously, you know, to to be able to pass off as either. Uh, but you know, then later on, you would uh, I would you know tell who the, you know who they really are, and you know if they're a porn star, I would tell them if they're a porn star, if they're a poker player, then I would say you know they're they're so and so, you know, whoever uh, you know whoever they they might be. But yeah, anyway, so, uh, great show. Uh, what's the call? I want you to join me, One Step to Wish. Happy birthday to a very special person from Poker Progress. Ready? Supposedly, today is the 30th birthday of a man who has done so much for Poker Fraud Alert. He was once a Rookie of the Year candidate. He was once someone that we all loved and admired. He volunteered his time to run a weekly poker league. He did many photo shops that we laughed at. He made many friends, and he even once played with Josh Hamilton in minor league baseball. I'm talking about the Templar. Templar may be gone from our sight, but he's still in our hearts. His money may be gone, but I'm about to replenish it. Not into his wallet, but back into the wallets of those he's stolen from. The Templar logged in just a few days ago, but didn't bother to post. A man of so many words now is of so few. He was even going to be the radio co-host of Boots and Collins. Templar had his hand in many pies and his other hand in many pockets. But these were all the carefree days of his 20s. I'm sure that one day, which has come today, his 30th birthday and he's started a new chapter in his life, an honest chapter, a chapter where he hurts no one but gives and never takes. Templar, I'd like to open up Poker Frottler once again make the world your oyster and once again give you the trust our friendship and our open wallets Templar happy birthday this is for you Templar Skull I, just, I had to do that touching tribute. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, yeah, no. Uh, my birthday was uh, actually on Sunday, so if anyone wants to donate to my twink fund, uh, you could PM me on, on, on the site. So, well, so how, hold on, hold on. How, how does the twink fund work? Uh, I receive money, and then I send it on twink. It's pretty, pretty, pretty simple. I mean, so you get money, you, you buy a twink, like a, like a twink prostitute? Uh, might not be buy, might be uh, you know spend uh, you know money on as uh, you know. Oh, so you whatever whatever you whatever you would do with the you know. I, I see. So you you could kind of come off as like a twink sugar daddy and and get one that way. 
Well, no, I mean, you know, I, I, nothing is free. You know, obviously you can't you can't do anything, uh, you know, for free. So. Okay, so so uh, one step. Have you actually had sex with a twink? Okay, listen, it's, it's a little bit too late for that. Uh, that kind of interview needs to be planned, and uh, you can't say yes or no. I mean, you, you talk about it so I much. Be, I, I, I just to, want to know if you've actually I been need, successful. I need to be properly motivated and uh, you know in a proper <laughs> state of mind in order to in order to make those type of answers, uh, those type of questions and answers. Uh, need to be financially motivated. Uh, in some financially way. motivated. Um, okay. Yes. So just letting you know uh, in the future. All right. If you if you want to pay me to do the interview, that's fine. But uh, I was willing to do it for free. That's that's funny. That's very funny. Uh, coupons can be accepted as well, since I know you have some of them. All right. I'll, um, I'll send you some coupons. Thank you. All right. That's enough. I've given him enough time here. When when he's demanding that I pay him to find out if he's had sex with twinks, that's when the call has to end. <laughs> But apparently it is the Templar's birthday, or at least the birthday he reports on Skype. So who knows with the Templar whether he's ever telling the truth. Well, I think this show is uh, coming to an end. Hopefully there isn't any huge story I missed, other than that one that was just sent to me about uh, lock poker and the stolen money. And uh, we will try to follow up with Nene, or whatever her real name is, next week. She's going to Hopefully be a recurring character on this show. Even if she doesn't know it yet. So can you believe this? A show that I'm running. With nobody else pressuring me to turn it off. And I'm ending the damn thing after two and a half hours. But you have to give me some props here. Number one, I spent a lot of time preparing for the show. Number two, I started on time. Number three... I made a successful kind of prank call. Number four, I got a Russian on the phone, a, a legitimate Russian. Number five, I hung up on one step. you got to give me credit for these things. I did do some good things tonight, even if I'm entering, ending the show sort of early. So, the only reason I'm ending it is just because I, I don't have anything more to talk about. Once in a while, I really can run out of things to talk about. It's hard to believe, but I, I'm just not feeling it tonight like I have anything more to say. So rather than just force it, rather than have a bunch of horrible segments that are going to ruin the progress we've made here, I'm just going to end it. I'm going to quit while I'm ahead, which I'm not known for. I'd like to thank the two Russian gentlemen, Slava and Vadim, who came on. I'd like to thank Howard Lederer for doing a stupid interview. There's more where that came from. I'd like to thank One Step for calling in and uh, trying to extort money out of me to hear gay stories of his. I would like to thank... Uh, who else? Oh, I'd like to thank Nene for staying on the phone with me longer than I expected. I'd like to thank uh, Tavi for scamming Ken so we could have a funny radio segment. I'd like to thank my internet connection for only going out once during the show, and only for a few seconds. Thank you, internet. I'd like to thank uh, Poker Fraud Alert Server for generally being reliable compared to the one we had when we first went up. And I'd especially like to thank all of our listeners. I appreciate every last one of you. Thank you for listening. This will be in the archives in Stitcher, in iTunes, wherever you need it to be, wherever you want me to be, I will be there. No, I won't, but... 
Shalom.